The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to this very special roundtable episode 2. Um, it's been a few months since we did the first roundtable. Um, my plan is to try and get these out every 3-4 to four months so believe it or not I'm actually on time for a change which has surprised me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so you're on the podcast under the stairs. This is the second rim table. And I thought, you know, the first one was quite a cool concept. We were talking about horror remakes, the good, the bad, and the unnecessary. Um, we could have went and done something else, but I'd, for some reason it just felt right to pick a director who I don't think gets enough love on horror podcasts. I'd, and there could be various different reasons, but... it. When people talk about the masters of horror, people seem to skirt over this guy quite quickly, and I've, it's it's always confused me. I've never understood why. So I thought, why not dedicate a show actually talking about the collective works of um, the Italian Hitchcock himself, uh, one Mr. Dario Argento. Now, in order to do this discussion, I had to assemble a crack team of horror podcast specialists, um, guys that have been in the business for a while and know what they're talking about. So... Um, with that in mind, uh, I want to go around individually introducing my guests um, and we'll get to know where their podcasts are, how you can check them out and then we're going to start talking about some Dario Argento so I'm really excited about this. My first guest um, is a man that I haven't actually spoken to for almost a year. Um, he was on the podcast Under the Stairs for Halloween last year where we, were, we got a chance to talk to him about what he liked and what he didn't like at Halloween, any traditions he had. It's of course one half of the, or sorry, one third now of the, the Banana Laser Trio, Mr. Dave Zandano. How are you doing, sir? Great, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here um, with all you fine people. And, yeah. Uh, glad this, to, glad to be a, on the show. This is a subject that um, I know for a fact uh, you, you're going to have a lot of fun with because this guy's like your favorite director, isn't he? Yes, sir. Yeah, no question about that. Yep. Hey, mine too. They'll see, there you go. This nice. Is, this, is, this is how it starts. You know, this is we're all going to start the loving and then eventually... The, the third guest is going to knock us back down. He's <laughs> going to say, no, bad, bad podcasters. But uh, Dave, uh, where can people check out Banana Laser online? Uh, Banana Laser is hosted on Horophilia Network. And um, we're on iTunes. We're on um, Stitcher. But the webpage is um, horophilia.com, Banana Laser Podcast. And uh, if you try to find us on iTunes, you have to subscribe to the Horophilia feed. The Banana Laser one does not work. It's been a long time. For some reason, you can't hear us on our own thing. It has to go through the, um, you know, the network feed. Yeah. But that's where we are. We're on Facebook, Facebook groups, Facebook page. So uh, we're pretty much all over. Uh, Banana Laser is uh, on Twitter. It's Banana Laser Show. Awesome, awesome. Right, so my second guest, you heard him just chatting there to say that he too has a favourite director called Dario Argento. I'm assuming it's the same guy. Uh, it's of course uh, a, a guy that has been on this show 
quite a lot recently and has made my life very easy because he's very knowledgeable and it means I can relax a bit is of course the man behind Kruger Nation horror podcast Johnny Krug how you doing good man tight no titties (laughs) yeah Argento and uh, um, Carpenter are my two favorites Um, and it's really hard to pick but I I think I would probably go Argento over Carpenter just slightly yeah, I, th- I, th- I can see I can see where you're coming from with that. He, he does have, especially that those first two decades, is pretty formidable. <laughs> I mean, he's like, he just seems to be knocking like everything he seems to be doing. Just seems it has the Midas touch. Everything he does turns to gold. That's what it is. Um, and where can people check out Kruger Nation online? A Kruger Nation horror podcast is on iTunes. I know it's on other podcatchers. I'm not sure which ones or how it got there, but that's cool. <laughs> and uh, KrugerNation.com also. So uh, check it out. I'm actually getting back into it regularly. I just finished my Friday the 13th. Yeah, man. You knocked out like six six movie reviews in one show. I was I was very impressed. You put us all to shame. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's the, the whiskey touch. Mm. It's like Midas, but it, it, uh, it ends up better. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind, uh, let me introduce you to my third guest. Um, as the last time I spoke to this man on this show, um, believe it or not, was also last year. It's almost a year ago as well. He was on to chat about The Wicker Man, which was in our top ten uh, British horror movies. Um, I selected by the podcast Under the Stairs. He is the man behind Devour the podcast, uh, the elder statesman um, of this this group. Kinda, I think. I think Johnny's been. I think Johnny might have been doing it slightly longer, but um, I know like Devour have just been there as long as I've known about horror podcasting. Devour's been there, so as of course, Mister David Anders Junior. How are you doing, sir? Oh, not bad. Very uh, happy yes. to be here today. Yes, very happy to have you back on, and you are going to be the the sensible one of this. Group. <laughs> I think I think you're going to be like the, yeah. the the anchor, which is going to bring us back in. Because I'm I'm not going to lie, the, the three of us, the three of us here, we, we're all big Argento fans and I think that might cloud some of these decisions so you are here as the voice of wisdom yeah I think I I don't remember if I made the joke on air or if it was off the air but I was talking about this uh, doing this show uh, when I was recording The Last Devourer when we did uh, Friday 2 and I was like oh you know I'm really looking forward to doing the show with Duncan I'm like although I'm walking into the lion's den because I'm walking in with three guys who really like Argento and there's (laughs) a lot of Argento movies I just don't like <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, you never know. We might change your opinion. Other tears is fucking awful. <laughs> What's well, not? You're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. Right. So uh, he just he, he's, he's with you like almost four decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight to mother of tears. He's like yep. he's like fuck Suspiria. Let's get uh, so um. Uh, how can people check out Devour the podcast online? Uh, you can go to devourthepodcast dot com. Uh, it updates. Uh, Supposed to be weekly, but that's not always what happens. Uh, I, we're also members of the Legion uh, Horror Podcast, which is there, but I haven't updated that in a while because I haven't bothered to figure out how to do that. Um, I'm also a co-host on a gaming podcast called Schadenfreude Gaming with Bo. That's right, uh, yeah. That's co-host just... from Devour and John Dolan. You've and just I... start, started that up, yeah? Hmm? I believe they recorded the second episode this weekend, but I didn't make it to that because I was... In no mood to talk about video games. <laughs> All right. 
So, right, this is my this is my panel. This is my panel. So what we're going to do on this show um, is we're going to look at the collective horror works of Dario Argento. We're going to basically work decade to decade. So each segment of this podcast is going to look at a particular decade. And we're going to go... Some I imagine some of the the talk about certain films will go more in depth than others. Um, I think between us all, I know um, Dave Z has seen every Argento film. I think Johnny's about the same there. I am. I have about three or four that I haven't seen, and I was desperately trying to get copies of, but it's near impossible to get copies of over here. So um, I, there will be gaps, but I'm sure between us all, we'll be able to cover the full conversation about them and. Um, Hopefully, what this does, this the the purpose of this show is basically to to look at this master of horror, look at his body of work, and if you don't, if you've never checked out any Argento, which is a possibility, I mean there are people out there that might not have, then this might give you a good entry point of where to start. And at the same time, if you are a fan of Argento but you've just not checked out all his stuff, hopefully this will inspire you to go out and check out more of his work. So. With that in mind, we're going to take our very first break. When we come back, it's the swinging 70s. Um, that's right, we're all wearing flares. We've all got our afros. Um, I've got my afro comb stuck in my hairy Manchester, And this is going to be awesome because we're going to be talking about the collective works in 1970s Dario Argento. Some would argue this is the pinnacle of his, his, his career. We'll, we'll find out if we all agree with that. The only way to find that out is to check right back after this break. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Wazell and Z here. Yeah, we're just uh, kicking back in the laser lounge right now, taking a break from uh, what we normally do to tell you all about our show, Banana Laser. Uh, we're just here for sick fucks like ourselves that love horror movie and just, yeah, fuck. The Banana Laser podcast, it's uh, every t- <laughs> and um you know it's for sick fucks like ourselves (laughs) so if you like salty commentary (laughs) and skewed views foul mouth skewed views and look uh, we're terrible at this i'm fucked up too we are terrible (laughs) oh my All right, forget it, fuck it. Uh, you can find Banana Laser at horophilia.com. Check us out on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter, Banana Laser Show. Look us up on YouTube, Banana Lasers, everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Look us up so you can join us. <laughs>
Ah, welcome back. So, 1970s, right? So, Argento has been in the film industry for pretty much his whole life. Um, he's always been on sets and stuff. He's he's worked on a lot of spaghetti westerns uh, for his family. Um, and he kind of goes off and tackles the the unlikely subgenre of the giallo. Um, for those that don't know what a giallo is... Um, it, comes from the term of these yellow crime books that were written in Italy. They always had a yellow cover and the word giallo itself means yellow. Um, so the movies that I released in this decade, and this is what I'm saying about it being pretty formidable, are Bird with a Crystal Plumage, which came out in 1970, followed that up with The Cat and Nine Tails in 1971. The movie that came after that um, was Four Flies on Grey Velvet, which was 72. Um, he then and we're not going to talk about this movie too much because it's not actually within the horror canon. He did a, a, a comedy um, called The Five Days. And that movie didn't perform particularly well. So he returned with Deep Red, which was another giallo. And then he finishes off this decade with what some people would argue is his, his masterpiece, which is Suspiria. So... Um, the, the best way to do this is just round table this discussion. So I'll start off with the, the guest that introduced first, Mr. David Zandano, sir. Um, I mean, when it comes to the 70s, and I, I mean, I've noticed that you posted on Facebook, you know, basically you, you from his first movie to the end of the 80s, you, you pretty much said it is like, this is the, you know, a crazy run of movies. If I was to ask you in here, I think I've, I'm safe to say this, is your favourite Argento movie from this decade? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Would it be Suspiria? Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was. I thought. I thought that was a safe guess. Well, wait, right. If we were looking at Argento from a, a director's point of view, when was the first time you were aware of him as a director? And can you remember what the first movie was that you saw of his? Yeah, this is actually kind of interesting. Um, the first movie was Suspiria, but. What it took for us to see it was was a lot because I'm going back to uh, the 80s and uh, in the VHS heyday when, you know, we were renting like mad, 85, 86, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And um, we were renting everything in sight. And at the, also at that time, Fangoria magazine was very popular and we were reading every episode. And we would actually see this advertised. I never saw any our general movie like in in our stores you know if you went to run a movie at blockbuster it wasn't blockbuster then but the mom pop shops we had there there was no argento i think creepers was there the the, the other version of phenomena um i think i eventually rented it later but mm -hmm. i didn't know anything about argento i think i may have heard his name come up a few times reading fangoria but just not thinking much of it i probably figured they were spoken italian i didn't pay it attention and um in the back of the fangoria magazines where they had all the ads uh, I used to see this advertisement, and it would say, "See this masterpiece, Suspiria," with the tagline about the, um, you know, the first ninety minutes, whatever it was about it being something. I don't know. Maybe somebody knows that that phrase. But um, anyway, is, this movie was uh, there, and they were. The only thing scarier you know than the first ninety minutes is the last, like, last minute or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Something. Uh, but there it was in the back of the magazine. They were advertising it, big masterpiece, and this and it was a videotape, of course, at the time. And it says um, it was like ninety dollars to see this movie. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, 
90 bucks. And we kept seeing this advertised, and it said it was a, for whatever reason, it was a big deal, you know, the letterboxed edition and all this other stuff. So a friend of mine and, and myself, because we were the primarily the two guys that used to rent them like mad, we chipped in and we bought this movie, Suspiria, for $90. Sent away for it. And uh, <laughs> it came in, and, um, you know, we watched it, and it, it pretty much blew our minds. And uh, the funny thing is, it, it blew our minds because of the gore, mostly, and, and the inventive kill scenes. It didn't, I didn't really fully appreciate it. I always said I loved it, but I didn't mm. really fully appreciate it until I became an adult and started seeing it with different eyes and, you know... That's a whole other story, but uh, <laughs> it started with Suspiria, and I just my love for it has just grown since then. And it's you know it's my favorite movie by him. It's it's my top five in my top five for horror movies. Period. So I'm glad yeah. I started off with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll move on. Uh, Johnny Krug. Um, is it safe to say that your favorite Argento movie is from this decade as well? Is that no. Right? No, actually. Oh, right. So, so you're, so you're Ooh, an '80s man wow. like myself. Yeah, I, uh, I would say uh, my favorite ones are from the '80s, and one even from the, uh, the '90s. Oh my god! Oh, I'm gonna guess. The... I'm gonna guess. Can I guess the '90s? <laughs> you, you can go for it. No, 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 not the '90s. All right. Well, the I think 2000s. you said one from the '80s and one from the '90s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Tell us one from the 2000s. <laughs> I look oh, forward shit. to checking this out. Right. So, right. Um, well, well, with that curveball, <laughs> I mean, I love everything he did in the seventies. Yeah, my my first exposure to Argento was a kind of a weird one because I don't know if you guys know this, but if you watch a lot of the public domain versions, like Creepers instead of Phenomena, or uh, like the Hatchet Murders instead of Deep Red, mm-hmm. those those are the ones I saw when I was a kid on VHS. And there's so much shit cut out of those movies that it's almost you. It's you can't. You can't even really wrap your mind around it because yeah. so so many like plot points and like gore and things are cut out, and it wasn't. I mean, I loved that stuff when I was younger, but it wasn't until I was an adult that I actually started seeing like phenomena and like the actual uncut deep red and stuff like that. And but my first exposure was uh, Creepers, which is the really bad edit of Phenomena. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because like <clears throat> obviously you guys are all USA based, and I, I myself am. I'm in the UK, and um, the, the titles weren't released the same way over here, um, just to do with European kind of horror, for some reason, isn't as heavily edited. Um, although a lot of his movies landed during what was known as the Video Nasty era in the in the UK, so things like, um, I don't think Suspiria was ever actually on the, the Video Nasties list, but I have it in the back of my head that maybe Deep Red was. Um, I know at least one of his movies was like, you must not see this movie or you will burn in hell. Um, <laughs> so that dramatic thing that the, the, the Brits tried to do where they tried to outlaw basically anything that had even a hint of blood or a tit. Um, so, um, so yeah, so um, in terms of the 70s, uh, do you have a favourite from the 70s? Uh, if we were to take the movies that I mentioned, what would your favourite be, Johnny? I would say, uh, man, it's a really hard one because I would say it's either Four Flies on Grey Velvet or probably Deep Red. Yeah, yeah. So, so you uh, do you find yourself more gravitating towards his Jalo work as opposed to some of the supernatural stuff. Or... No, no, no. I love the Three Mothers trilogy. Yeah, I, 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 I I'm kind of a, you know, I, I think he's a pretty well-rounded director as far as what I like. I mean, there's nothing of his that I. Well, we'll get there later. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
there's nothing there's nothing in these decades that I that I don't love. Mm. Right, so we'll we'll, we'll jump on uh, our our final our final guest, Mister Anders Junior. Right, so the seventies, same questions as before. Um, is your favorite movie from the seventies? If so, what it is, and um, could you tell us, you know, um, the first time you were aware of Argento as a director? Uh, I want to say the first time I heard of him was probably. I want to say 2003, 2004. Um, and it may have been even because of Dawn of the Dead because his name is in the credits for that. Um, but it was because of because of that movie. I was on a specific message board at the time that was he got brought up periodically. And I kept hearing about Suspiria. And everyone's like, oh, Suspiria, Suspiria, Suspiria. And, of course, the local blockbuster didn't have it because, God forbid, they have anything of, of, of value there. <laughs> but IFC happened to be running it during Halloween one year. So I come home from work one night and I catch 10 minutes of the movie, I think. And it's the scene where the blind man is running through the whatever it is, that courtyard at night. Mm. And I'm like, what in the fuck is this movie? This doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. So I'm like, all right, I'll watch this again later. So I I think I looked at in a TV guide of all things, saw the next time they were going to run it. And I taped it off of IFC and watched it one night. And it was fantastic. Absolutely a brilliant movie. Um, not my favorite of the 70s. It actually goes to Deep Red, which I think is criminally underrated. Um, but yeah, Suspiria is really good, but Deep Red is really, really good. And um, Cat of Nine Tales is actually a really impressive uh, for what it is. Mm-hmm. And I really I think like, it- the, um, I like the Morricone score because it's so unlike a Morricone score. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the thing that um, I mean, speaking like well, speaking for myself, that's kind of what one person does. So I don't know what I'm on about. Um, but uh, the the first time I came across his works um, was it would have been circa '99, um, and I worked in a video store at the time, and um, they used to have a section of. You could rent like uh, five VHS tapes, like because they were older titles, five VHS tapes for four nights, and it was like about ten pounds or something. And I used to like I, I had chronically bad insomnia at the time. I kind of like Johnny Krug is just now uh, could not sleep at all. Um, so I used to take like handfuls of these videotapes home and then bring them back the next day. You know, watch them all night. And um, the first one I saw was Suspiria, and um, I I considered myself like a bit of a horror fan at the time. You know, obviously I'm much more into it now. But at the time, I I thought you know I've seen horror movies. I've been to the cinema and seen Scream. Oh yeah, look at me, Mister Badass, seeing Scream. You know, I, I thought I thought I was, I thought I was, yeah. And I sat down and I watched Suspiria, and, and nothing could have prepared me for that movie at all. I had never see from the opening, the opening scene, and you get you get the Goblin soundtrack playing crazy fucking loud shit as she's walking through an airport, and you're like, why is the music so intense? She's just walking. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. What are you doing to me? And the, the, the Goblin, Goblin to me, make that film transcend so much more than... I mean, the movie is phenomenal, and yeah, there's been multiple... You know, uh, things written in books and online and all the rest to do with the lighting and the the particular shots and the effects and all the rest. To me, the score um, makes that movie unsettling all the way right through. Um, you know, there's there's not a sequence in that movie at all where I wasn't 
like kind of off guard you know I was constantly waiting for something to happen and what happened in that movie blew my mind I mean I'd never seen anything like it and I was obsessed after that I had to track down these movies um, so Suspiria was definitely that was my entry it's also not my favourite and very much like Johnny my favourite comes in the following decade um, but I mean what we'll do is we'll talk about the, the the animal trilogy uh, so it starts off with basically you get uh, three three Jalo movies um, the reason it's called animal trilogy is because there's animal kind of animals, there's one's an insect but we'll forget about that, so we get the, the bird with the crystal plumage, the cat and nine tails and four flies in grey velvet which I only saw for the first time last year um, and this might be controversial, not to Johnny, because Johnny, I think, agrees with me. It's my favourite out those out those three. I think it's actually really fucking good, like really, really, really good. Um, Dave, what's your uh, Dave Zandano? Uh, what's your favourite out of the the animal trilogy between uh, you know the bird, the cat, or the the four flies? Believe it or not, I agree with you two. Four flies, definitely. You know, matter of fact, I I have four flies just a shade below deep red. Hmm. Just in general, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I can see that. I mean, I love Deep Red, and I know what uh, uh, David Anders is saying, that, yeah, when you look at... Deep Red is one that seems to get overlooked a lot. Um, a lot of people will jump naturally to, to Tenebrae um, and maybe sometimes forget about Deep Red. And I, I love that movie, and it's wonderfully weird. Um, Four Flies, to me, is a, is a kind of... As a thriller, as like a really good giallo thriller, you know, with the kind of the, the kind of creepy horror elements. I think it just nails it. I just think that's like there's something really sinister and really mean about that movie, um, which you know I can totally get on board with. Um, Johnny, I mean, you you were saying Four Flies as well. Is that is that because you saw that movie first, or is it? Do you, do you think there's particular things in that movie that just elevate it above the other two? I I didn't see it before I saw Deep Red or any any of the other ones, but I would say that um, <clears throat> excuse me as as far as that movie goes, like I felt more of a personal connection with it just because of the music aspect. It had more of a uh, because it's, it's about an American musician, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I could kind of relate with that and stuff. But I thought I I love all three of the Animal Trilogy movies, but I thought that this one kind of took everything. Like you said, it, it's a bit darker, yeah, and it goes that extra kind of. I don't know. It, it takes a few more chances than the other two did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean I, that was that was I mean that was one actually to be honest, probably one of the later ones I saw. Like it's it's difficult to it's actually difficult to like for some reason that movie is difficult to get a hold of. I mean even even now there's a company in the UK that has put it out, but. Um, I mean, it didn't. It didn't get the same. So it didn't get put out on the same uh, dis- uh, distribution as because Arrow put out quite a lot of the Argento stuff, but Arrow didn't put out Four Flies for some reason, and that went to Shameless instead, um, who tend to put out things like Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Ferox. You know, all these kind of really, and I wouldn't put Four Flies in the same category as any of them. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's, it just seems like a really weird one to go to, and it's 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 kind of woefully. It's, it's one of these movies that, when you tend to talk about Argento with people, it's the one that people tend to have not seen. Um, and it's strange that, because of the three, I kind of echo what you're saying. I think it's the one which is dark. you know, And I, I kind of appreciate it for that. You can see a lot of where Deep Red goes 
the, the kind of blueprint of that has already been tried and tested in four flies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, uh, especially once you get some of his later movies, like, <laughs> the uh, the mean-spirited nature of it gets gets pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he gets, he, he, he likes to, he likes to kill people in these movies in gruesome ways. Um, and like the, the, the end of Four Flies where, where um, we, we basically, and I'm, I'm going to hopefully get this right because I did watch it like a couple of nights ago. That's the one where the, the woman runs away and does she not get, does, the, the, does she not get crushed by a lorry or something? Does she not go through the windscreen of a, our car and like basically just get like mauled by a lorry? Like a large truck. I th- I'm sure that's what happens yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that that just kind of continues from then onwards. Like horrible, horrible shit starts happening to people that almost get. It's like Scooby Doo. Imagine watching Scooby Doo, and um, you know how they're like that. And I would have got away from it if it, yeah, would have got away with it if it hadn't been for you pesky kids. Um, if that person then ran at the door and then got attached by a hook to a car and then dragged six blocks, that would be the Argento ending. I mean, that's that's what he does to his his criminals. He really doesn't them suffer um uh david anders jr um have you seen all three from the trilogy and if so what one's your favorite and why uh unfortunately i have not i have i may still have a copy of uh bird of the crystal plumage on dvd it's like a really shitty fucking copy that i picked up for like two bucks someplace um i have a copy of four flies that i found online because that wasn't available on DVD for the longest time, and then when it was, it was stupid expensive. <laughs> like it was close to like forty bucks, brand new, and I'm like, I'm not paying that much money for a fucking movie I've never seen. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, um, that's how the Blu-ray is now. Try to get the Blu-ray for Four Flies. Forget about it. Yeah, well, I found a copy online um, legally, of course. I just didn't get a chance to watch it uh, before we did this. Um, but birth or um, sorry, uh, Cat of Nine Tails is the one I have seen. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'd had it for probably four or five years before I finally watched it because I was doing it for a, a, a podcast. And I was sort of surprised because it's it's a little bit more straightforward. It's a little mm-hmm. bit less horror than, than Deep Red and uh, Suspiria are. And it's kind of much more of a straightforward kind of mystery. And the main character, one of the main characters is a blind man. And yep. It's just like, what in the hell is going on in this movie? But it's it ends up being like, I don't remember how the movie ends or who the killer was, but the, the progression of the story is actually really interesting. And then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, well, that's creative. And then I seem to think, I think, yeah, that the, 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 the bad guy ends up die, dying in some kind of a horrible, horrible way. Yeah, it goes down a, a, a it falls down a, a lift shaft. Or oh, a that's shaft, right. And he tries, he tries to grab the cables, and his hands get all mashed up. That's I like, right. yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like the thing about the Cat and Ninetales for me is that I mean, like when you watch Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and um, you like, you see, like, there's so many to me that as a, as an opening film, that's such a strong fucking horror movie. Well, or Jalo movie. I mean, I, a lot of the that you could put the forward the case. I don't necessarily agree with it because I think the you know a lot of what makes the early kind of late seventies and early eighties slashers. You know, if you look at Jalo, there was a lot of that happening already, like POV, um, almost a slasher style in there. It was just the Americans just amped it up. They turned up to eleven, um, but when you look at things like 
Bird with a Crystal Plumage is a really good mystery. And it is, it's not particularly overly dark, but it is quite mean. And then you watch The Cat and Nine Tails and there's this really beautiful kind of whimsical score in the background and you have this kind of really loving relationship between the, the blind uncle and his, his granddaughter and you know, he used to be a, a, a reporter and he's now helping out another reporter to look into this mystery. And it's all, like, when you watch it at first, I mean, it's such a beautifully shot movie. Like, most, I, I think... I think pretty much all our gentle stuff is beautifully shot. Um, but you watch it and you, you kind of, you, you let your guard, uh, this is the movie, it's the only movie of his that I, I find that my guard gets let down and then things happen in it that jar me. Um, and there's a there's a particularly amazing scene where they're in a crypt. Um, oh, yeah. yeah oh, that's and great, you, yeah. The blind man standing at the door and then you just see... The, the, the I think it's like a garrote or something go over his neck and you just see him get pulled back and I remember I, I caught it out the corner of my eye for when I watched it the first time I was like oh what the fuck happened there I had to rewind it straight away and I was just like that's creepy as fuck and then when he comes in and he's got blood on his spike um, and then his cane and I'm like I, I genuinely it's one of the I, I think that was always a good thing about his trilogies you never knew who the killer was you could guess um, but you never knew who the killer was. That identity was kept right to the very end. Um, and, I mean, you look at other movies that came like afterwards um, from other directors that were trying to do something similar, and you can pretty much map out who the killer is. Um, but that one, that one was different. Um, Dave Z, um, when you watch uh, stuff from the seventies. I mean, do, do you feel that... I mean, because The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is such a strong opener. Do you feel that you can chart his directorial kind of career getting better? Is it a case of that you see him kind of just refining his work? Instead of, like, you know, astronomically getting better film from by film, is it just a case that you maybe look at him and say, well, you know, he tries certain things, but he keeps, you know, he keeps a kind of constant running through those movies? I think that by the time he got to Four Flies, it, it even it, even though it only been a year or, or you know eighteen months since he filmed the uh, Bird, it seems like Four Flies he's actually grown um, with with a lot of stuff. That's why I think it, it's almost like the precursor to to Deep Red because after after Four Flies, that's when he stopped and he didn't really return uh, you know until Deep Red in, in the yeah. genre. But I but I. It's not a knock on any of them because I'm a big fan of the the entire animal trilogy. I think mm-hmm. that uh, what a great start with cat. Uh, pardon me with bird right out the yeah. gates. You know, we just covered this actually two shows ago on Banana Laser, and you know we talked about it for over an hour. And it's you know really good movie. And same thing with cat. Um, you know, very formulaic. But my introduction to to Jallos, you know, and but yeah. I just watched them all recently again. And I think Four Flies, I really appreciated it in my last viewing. It just seemed like um, he was doing something different with the cinematography and just the presentation of the film that, that, that continued on through his career. Uh, while the first two are very good movies, I just think Four Flies, I think you can see um, uh, some growth in his direction. Yeah, yeah. And um, Johnny, when you're looking at... Um, just basically what I was saying before, where you, where you can chart him, he, he comes out with such a strong film to begin with. Um, 
what's your interpretation? Do you see him just kind of refining things up in in his style, or do you think, like like Dave was saying, you know, he he comes out with the first two, and then he just takes a leap to the next level, and then you know continues on, does deep red, and then takes a leap up to Suspiria? What's your kind of feelings on that sort of thing? I think visually, it's kind of a natural uh, progression, just because everything he does is so stylized and like. I mean, the way shots are set up, the way the color tones in all of his movies, especially you don't see it as much in the earlier films like the Animal Trilogy, but you, you see hints of it. And as he moves along, you see him more coming into his own of what his style actually is. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, definitely later you can watch a movie and say, like, you can tell it's an Argento movie just by some of the color tones and some of uh, you know some of the way he frames up shots and stuff like that, or the cinematographer does. And... Always, you know, with the um, well, later with the Simonetti scores and stuff. But I, I do think that with these movies, it just everything feels like a natural progression. I, I do feel like Cat and Nine Tales, even though, like you said, it has a lot of like um, levity, like more levity mm-hmm. than, than the first or the third film. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, uh, especially, I don't know the 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 blind character. It was it was. I don't know, that was the one part of the movie that kind of took me out of it a little bit, but I still love the movie, but that was just such an odd, <laughs> such an odd thing yeah. to throw in there. Yeah, it's, it's like as well, when, like, when you first watch that movie, you think that your your main character is the blind character, and the movie kind of kind of focuses quite heavily on him to begin with, until you really start finding that, you know, we have a reporter who's actually investigating things, and it, the, then we kind of shift gears on over to him and he becomes our main character in it um and it's quite weird that he would he would take that kind of that step i i think that's one thing that's always that's one of the things that i've always appreciated most about like argento especially at the beginning is that a lot of directors will when they know something works will stick to what they know works because they've had success in it before so you know they'll continue doing it and Argento always seemed to have that kind of the vibe of I'll just try something different I'll just put even if it is we're going to put this blind character in there and we're going to give him a a, a granddaughter that he looks after and he's going to he's going to solve puzzles that's what he does he's 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 hobby solving puzzles and we'll, we'll give that kind of quirky twist on it um that that i really like i mean when we when we look at deep red because deep red to me is the i mean he's done his animal trilogy and i I love them deep red to me is like the first time he works with goblin um and goblin does a phenomenal score for that movie um but he just kind of to me it's like his first movie which screams to me this you know this is gonna this is gonna push me out of Europe, this is a movie that's going to take me over. And even though the previous ones were were fairly successful in America, this to me is the one that kind of you know pushes the Argento name out of Europe on a, on a bigger scale. I, I know Dave Anders was saying, you know, when you look at, you, I mean, you you say Deep Red criminally criminally underrated. Um, that movie to me is where you first start getting the things which like would would come out in later films for example the the creepy doll mm-hmm. which is never really explained yeah. which just comes out the corner <laughs> kind of laughing and waving its arms and then later on when you see Suspiria the kind of blind witch that comes out and no similar sort of idea from a corner moving along I mean it's a similar scare um and what what I think works with Deep Red is there are so many sequences in that 
that are completely fucked up and unsettling, whether it's the lullaby uh, that you get, which keeps getting played, which is the creepiest fucking lullaby ever. Mm. I would never want to hear a child sing that, honestly. It would scare <laughs> me to death. Um, or the, 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 you know, the the doll heads hung up, the 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 kind of... <laughs> once again, he focuses on a musician as our main character. Um and you know he does things like in an unsettling way what do you think David Anders Jr is the the if you look at Deep Red what what do you think it is about that movie that makes it so special I think it feels like his first real horror movie mm-hmm. you know having like I said having only seen Cat of Nine Tails prior to it so I can't really judge the other three animal trilogy or the other two trilogy films this one feels more less like a jello much more like a straight up horror movie um the emphasis on the the violence and i think the score especially really pushed things along um the the scene where the puppet comes out and attacks the guy for no real apparent reason or you don't know where the fuck that puppet came from you never see the puppet again (laughs) but it's creepy as hell because it just comes flying out of that door and it's a great jump scare um you've got the it takes a bit of a supernatural element to it because it's got the the psychic character. Um, I mean, the opening the opening ten fifteen minutes of that movie where we see where we're introduced to that psychic, and then she's brutally murdered, are just fantastic. And everything about it is the cinematography, the sound sound design, the score. It's just it's all just perfect. And from there on, you're like, all right, I'm totally into this. And and it keeps going and it works. It works throughout, and I think unfortunately, and it a lot of this bits of pieces of this movie got ripped off, especially in Saw. Holy shit, James Wan loves this movie <laughs> um, because yeah, there's whole chunks of this movie that that were in Saw that got or elements of this movie that were taken for Saw, and it's just like oof. But <laughs> yeah, this movie's fucking fantastic. I love I I love uh, Deep Red. I think it's it's easily one of the best. Um, kind of almost proto slashers because it's still still fairly close to the jello um mm-hmm. and i really there's actually a sequence in the fairly early on that they they jump back to where the killer is in if you know where to look the killer is actually standing and you can see the the reflection in a mirror oh and the my first God. time you're watching it you don't even recognize it because it's just it looks like one of the other uh paintings it's like a, yeah, yeah so that that's excellent yeah, and then yeah. of course they they flash back to that later, and you're like, oh holy shit! So every time I've watched it since, I'm like, oh no, yeah, that that's there. They weren't. That's not some bullshit they just pulled to be like, oh yeah, this was here the whole time. Like, no, it's it's there. It's you just really have to know where you're looking to see it. Yeah, the first time I saw that, um, the first time I saw Deep Red, and they they do that sequence at the end, and he's he's like, no, something wasn't missing. It was something I saw in the mirror. You know, he thinks back and he sees it, and you see that woman's face. Um, I, I mean, I, I like to consider myself of a strong constitution, um, but I, I did actually find myself having a small jump in the chair and pointing at Telly, putting my hand over my mouth and going, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> woman in the mirror, woman in the mirror. Uh, I, I thought, I was like, you see, whenever I watch that movie, that's, because back when I first saw this movie, it was on video, and I'm not going to rewind the video, but I, until the movie finishes, I'm not going to rewind it right back to the start to see if that's there. Right. I mean, that's crazy talk. You know what I mean? But um, it, it's, it is, it's, it's one of those things, it's, like, it's such a, 
it's such a simple thing, but so effective. And I think this movie, I think Deep Red is full of things which are so simple yet so effective. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, it, it kind of, and it, it, you know, I don't want to batter on that you know modern horror films aren't effective because there are plenty out there that are but when you look at what Argento does with just like like I say small ideas you know a, a character thinks he's seen something something's not and he always has that he kind of has that when he looks at the, the the animal trilogy of all our witnesses are just sure there is something but can't quite remember what it is mm-hmm. Um and I think that's what's quite cool because uh, uh, you have been with that character when the crime has happened, so you're trying. You're basically put in their position throughout the movie. You are trying to work out the mystery as they work out, and a lot of thrillers aren't very good at doing that. A lot of thrillers will give you right. There's a mystery. There's a cop looking into it, and then we're like, all right, and then we go and we follow another character, and then we go and follow another character. What Argento does really well is he kind of it's always an everyday guy. It's not a, a police officer or anything like that. On a couple of occasions, it's a musician. In one case, it's a reporter. Um, you know, or it's 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 always an American who's. And one thing should be learned from Argento films is if you're an American tourist wanting to live in Italy, you might want to reconsider that because chances are you're going to see a murder and you're going to get taken to some police case yeah. or something. But yeah, that's that's what happens. But um, I think that's I th- like I think that's probably even even when you look at something like Suspiria, which is incredibly incredibly intense. It's it, it doesn't necessarily go for massive elaborate scares. It's always the kind of lowest common denominator, um, whether it's you open the door and there's someone there or something's in the corner which you've not seen and then it comes out. And I think it's incredibly effective because it works on a level which we can all associate with. Mm-hmm. We can all, you know... It's not anything. I mean, with Suspiria, it's definitely supernatural. But the 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 kind of the Jalo stuff, especially, it's just it works on that kind of mystery level, and I think that's really cool. Now, Dave Z was saying, obviously, his favorite film uh, from this decade and favorite Argento film is Suspiria. Um, I think we close out this decade. I mean, Argento builds up, right? You, you've got the you've got the trilogy. He does Deep Red, which basically solidifies that he's a king of the Jallo. You know, that's him. He's done that. This is this is him. You know, he's he's made his statement. He pretty much says when he does uh, Deep Red that you know that, that he said after his trilogy he wasn't doing Jallo again. Then he came back and did Deep Red, and he said after that he wasn't doing another another Jallo again, <laughs> um, which we know didn't happen. Um, and then he. He does his first supernatural horror movie, and a lot of people can argue, and I would probably agree with him. It's one of the best supernatural horror movies ever made, um, Suspiria. So, Dave Z, tell me what it is about Suspiria that makes it Argento's best movie and puts it in your top horror movies of all time. I would have to say that it's it's a movie that as soon as I put it in, from from the first frame to to the last, I'm I'm hooked. I'm completely sucked into it. I'm you know, hypnotized, if you will, right off the bat, as soon as you hear the, the goblin score kicking in, and it just goes from there. I mean, right off the bat, you see what he's doing with the color schemes. Just, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen anything like that before, you know, or paid attention to it. It's just, what he does with, it's it's a visual, you know, I don't want to blow him too hard, but to me, it's it's it's, it's a visual masterpiece, and, it, and it's it's a masterpiece of sight and sound. It's the score, it's everything he does with it, you know. And that's just that's just the 
the the face value, then you know what's going on with um, the mystery of it, and of course the the over the top, you know, incredible death scenes throughout. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't know, visually alone, you can watch that movie and just watch it with the visuals and the things he does with the colors is just, you know, that's not something you ordinarily see. I mean, when I saw it, I, that that wasn't something I'd seen before. You know, it's mm-hmm. been mimicked since. I mean, he's done it himself a few other times, sure. But and in the soundtrack, you mentioned it earlier about how, how great it was and yeah. everything they did. Wow, it's just it's just an, another level to me. There's just like very few movies that I'm just hooked from beginning to end, and it's you know it's a total package. I mean, obviously these aren't you know the finest actors in the world, and especially when they're using dubbing, it's kind of hard to convey mm-hmm. what they're doing. But you know, you'll never hear me say a bad word about it. I'm just you know I'm into it from beginning to end, and it just it really just blows me away. Yeah, that colour scheme is, is not only crazy, but it's the way he uses it. For example, at the beginning, our, our character goes into a taxi, and when she's in the taxi, we're getting these fantastic blues and purples and reds, which are shining on her from outside the you know, outside the cab and inside the cab. And then you get these sequences where, as that taxi is driving along, we zoom out and we see the car driving, and there's no streetlights that are blue. There's no streetlights that are red. It's ordinary street lighting outside, and when you jump back in the car, that creepy lighting comes back in and again. And it's, I mean, the thing about that mu- the movie is that when you look at where the light sources are coming from, it, there's something very unnatural about that. And it's like you say about the, the visual aspect. If you mute that movie and just watch that movie, it is still so effective, just artistically, um, it's still like so effective than you know than a, a lot of what so-called you know talented artistic directors put out there. He just nails it, um, and I, I mean, it is a completely different level to anything he's done before. Completely different level. Not that I'm saying it's a, you know necessarily his best movie because I don't think it's his best movie. I would say uh, to me it's his second best movie, um, but compared. If you've been following Argento's career through the seventies, and then you see Suspiria at the end of that decade, that just blows your mind. I mean, it's it's like it's unlike anything I've you know I'd, at that time anyway when I saw it that I'd ever seen before. Um, Johnny, I mean, Suspiria. Th- th- this is how we're going to end this decade. Um, I mean, what do you think elevates this movie above uh, you know other horror movies from that decade? Say. Well, I think, I mean, we talked about it being definitely supernaturally driven. But in addition to that, it's like a an adult fairy tale. It has yeah. that, it has that like, dreamlike feel through the whole movie. And uh, that's the, a few things I really like about it. I think overall, though, I think it does, like, the other movies have violence and they have some scares and stuff. But I think this one has some genuinely, like, like skin-crawling, creepy shit. Yeah. Like her friend who uh, ends up in like the razor wire when she pops up later with the knife, that's a horrifying oh. image. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the the freaking um, at the, at the end of the movie when you see the silhouette of the of the uh, the head mother there, I, I think that I mean even though it, the effects and stuff are a little bit dated, I think it's still classic. It, it's just wicked looking, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know this movie to me. This is one of those movies that. I've always found appealing on such an odd level and I used to have friends over and I would show this to them and 
like nine times out of ten, they would just laugh and talk about how stupid it was. And I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, watch the movie. Like, it's almost like they're not seeing the same thing, like the same movie. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. No, 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 Dave. Continue. It, it requires concentration. It's something you can't have, you know, three or four guys over, you know, sipping on beers and shooting the shit and being in and out of it. And, you know, some people might think, oh, the dialogue is strange or why are they talking that way? And what's up with this person? And, you know, I could see how someone could not be into it, but I think it's something that requires, you know, your, your full attention. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you if you sat down and broke down, if you almost storyboarded this this movie and sat down to a group of people and, and tried to explain it to them, I mean, I, I could imagine people scratching their head, going, "It, it just seems quite random," you know that I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't understand how how does this all tie together? And I mean, I think it's to Argento's credit that he takes some of the the most viciously creepy, sadistic yet beautifully individual short sequences and somehow manages to put it in a movie and cohesively tie it all together in a way which I mean uh, it just is like it's just so incredible David Anders Jr um, we're going to close this decade out we're going to finish off obviously we've been chatting about Suspiria we're now going to come to you what do you think about what do you think it is about Suspiria um, that elevates it you know like makes it just something on a different playing field to, to a lot of what had come out in that decade or just in horror in general. It's one of the few times you can point to a film and be like, oh, this is an art film that's not pretentious and obnoxious. Mm. There's no pretension. Mean, okay, there's a little bit of pretension in this movie. <laughs> but it's well justified. You know, it, he's got a very clear idea of what he wants to do, which is make a weird fucking horror movie. And it works. I mean, from the beginning, you st- when Susie comes off the in, is walking through that uh, through the airport, and the music is very quiet. And then when the doors open, it gets loud again, and you're like, "What the hell?" Is-? Like that's something you don't see happen in movies ever. And then you know it's pouring rain, and she's in Germany, and there's all that weird sound effects in the score, and it's just such a bizarre fucking. You're like, "What the fuck is going on?" There's these rumors of witches and of people talking. People have weird fucking dialogue because it's Italian and they're just dubbed that way. It's yeah. There's some weird <laughs> di- goddamn dialogue in this movie, but it, it works. And the whole thing just sort of puts you off guard the entire time, till the point where you get to the end and suddenly it still doesn't quite make sense what the hell's going on. But you're so wrapped up in it that by the time it's finished, you're just like. I don't know what I just watched, but it was really good, and I'll probably watch that again, and maybe it'll make more sense next time. And it does. It progressively gets more, it makes more sense as you go along. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the first time you see it, it's just, it's so different than anything you've ever seen, because it's, yeah, it's got the violence, and it's got, you know, it's basically a story about witches, but it's how it's being told. It's It's very dreamlike, and there's like, the the scenes of violence are very graphic at times, especially the, the the scene where the the roommate gets stabbed in the heart and you see the knife going into her fucking heart a couple times and yeah the, when she falls through the ceiling and is hung it's like it's stuff you never see ever no one's ever done that before and probably hasn't done it again because it was done perfectly in this one mm-hmm. and then it comes to the end and the, like the literally the whole place comes crashing down and it's just over. And Susie's just out in the rain, and it's over. And you're like, 
Okay. <laughs> I guess it's over now. Sure. It, it's, it's, it's it seems like a that... lot of Argento movies do that. They just cut to credits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he just sort of goes, all right, there you go. That's the end. You don't need to know anymore. It's, I think, yeah, I think it's the, I think it's the, I think, to be honest with you, a lot of Italian horror I was going to say guilty of it, but in a lot of ways, I quite like it. It's, it comes from, I think, I think Argento, especially, I mean, when, when I've ever heard interviews talk, he was heavily influenced by Hammer Horror. Hammer mm-hmm. Horror is what he grew up on. A lot of Hammer Horror just finishes crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, oh, like we, we did, uh, we were talking about um, uh, To the Devil a Daughter uh, last year. And I love that movie. It's Christopher Lee, you know, being a badass and, you know, as he does and uh, all the rest. And that movie, there's a there's this massive fight scene in what can only be described as some guy, the, the, the cinematographer clearly had taken acid and then decided to film this sequence. <laughs> and they're trapped, they're trapped in a circle and um, they're, they're all, you know, fighting against each other and Christopher Lee's a Satanist in that movie. And it... Um, the guy throws a stone at his head. I don't know if you've seen this movie before. If you haven't, it's the it's got the most abrupt ending to a movie I've ever seen. So this big battle for life and death for the Antichrist, heaven and hell, and all the rest. And the character lifts a stone and throws it off Christopher Lee's head. It hits his head. Christopher Lee disappears. The circle's broken, and then the credits roll. And they were like, "Really? Did you just defeat Satan with a stone? <laughs> because cause that's what it looks like." And I think, I think, in a lot of respects, like a lot of Italian cinema, especially when it came to horror in the seventies and eighties, kind of carried that on. But I think, specifically, Argento, like you were saying, he just—I think, in his mind, the evil's gone for now. Our character is safe. Credits. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's. And to be honest with you, I think that's probably. I think it works for him. I don't know how how much of that movie would I like to see, you know, following our our main character as she travels back to the airport to go home to, because you know what I mean. No, it, me, it it works perfectly for that. You yeah. can't end it any other way. Like she yeah, escapes definitely. the building, the building is coming down, and then that's it. We don't. I don't. I don't care what happens to Susie after this point. That's yeah. fine. That's it. She's done. <laughs> she can go off and whatever. She Does goes to matter. audition for Mr. Swan. <laughs> Actually, no. That was before oh, right. this. That was, that oh, was right, before right, this. Right. That is true, but still. <laughs> but he ended all of them that way, I believe. The with the um, you know, the three mothers trilogy, they all had that abrupt yeah. conclusion and then the abrupt ending. You know, just and the credits roll. Just yeah. The first time you see it, it's a little jarring. I remember the first time seeing Suspiria, going, "Hmm, okay." Credits. Now used to seeing that. You know, usually there's some right. type of you know resolution at the end, especially if you grow up watching Friday the Thirteenth. There's something. You know, that, that yeah. a little bit afterwards. But in this, boom, you've just watched Suspiria. In a, yeah, okay. that's, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how, the, it, that's the first time you see this movie. It's just, you've just watched Suspiria. Like, okay, <laughs> apparently I just watched Suspiria. <laughs> that's a thing that happened. <laughs> Thank you, I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and with that in mind, with an abrupt end in mind, we're, we're going to close out the 70s, guys. We're going to close out the 70s. We're going to take a, a short break. We're going to refresh our drinks. We're gonna we're gonna get ourselves into the <laughs> the mindset of a, a group of guys in the eighties. Oh my god, new romantics, a flock of seagulls hairstyles. <laughs> I think we're gonna I think we're gonna get this on Miami Vice. We're gonna all be wearing nice white linen suits and we're gonna roll them over, roll up the sleeves halfway for some reason because that was a thing. Wearing bright coloured shirts. I say we do the eighties, guys. Are you ready to do this? Oh yes. Oh yeah, yeah. the collar up. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear some stuff that I need to think about what I'm going to put in this show. It's probably going to be Goblin. It's going to be Goblin. You're going to hear some Goblin. And then we're going to come back to chat about Dario Argento, his collective works, 1980s, right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture? without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. Welcome back. So, uh, it's Dario Argento time. We're now talking about the 1980s. So, the maestro returns with one less film than he did in the, the 70s. and um, That's not to say that the quality isn't still there. Um, so, he follows, he, he kicks right in straight away, right at, right at the bat. 1980, he does the, the sequel, the spiritual sequel to Suspiria, which is Inferno. He follows that up two years later with Believe it or not, a Jello film. <laughs> I'm not doing them anymore, guys, but I'll do Tenebrae. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then he does another kind of supernatural sort of movie in Phenomena. And then he returns again with, wait for it, another Jello movie. Um, but he can he's the best at them, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So yeah, so um, he has done four films this decade. So we have Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, and... This movie in my country is known as Terror at the Opera. Um, I don't know if it was released as opera in the in the states. I don't know if anyone will. Uh, do, do you guys the, know? It's DVD, opera. Yeah, it's the DVD opera. cover I have says Dario Argento's opera. Right, right. In the UK, for some reason, it was called Terror at the Opera. 
um, just to confuse things. Um, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose it makes it easier when we have Phantom of the Opera, and you know, we've got Terror at the Opera. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, right. So now I'm going to start with Johnny Krug this time because Johnny Krug said something in the previous segment. He made a statement, which the was herpes. His- yeah, it was, <laughs> and we all need to find out about it now. We just need to make sure it's not it's not transferable over Skype. Um, so what we need to find out is you said your favourite movie was your favourite Argento movie was from this decade. Now Mings is from this decade, so I just want to know if we're thinking of the same movie here. What's your what's what's that movie? Okay, this is a hard one for me, man. I'm gonna tell you why. Because <laughs> because these, I mean, aside from Inferno, these three Giallo flicks are three of my all-time favorites and i'm gonna go ahead and say that opera is i mean <laughs> tenebrae and phenomena are amazing but opera is is one of the best i don't know what it is yeah, i think it's the the i don't know the killer is such a fucking sadist man with the nails <laughs> below the eyes and the yeah. and, and the scene where the girl swallows the what does she swallow like a necklace and he cuts her open with the yep <laughs> I mean, this, of, uh, shears yeah <laughs> Yeah, this movie, man, like, I don't know what it is. Like, every movie he did in the 80s I love, but this fucking opera, man, was just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> and you talk about you talk about another movie that, like, they, they kind of catch you off guard with the ending. This, this is one where that, you, th- you think it's over, and then uh, all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I, I think opera's great, except for that dumbass ending. In the, I don't in mean the, uh, in the, the last, yeah, the last two minutes of that movie where the the heroine has basically just jumped off of the sanity train. I'm like, "Oh, seriously?" Cuz everything up to that point, I mean, even when they're like, "Oh, the 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 killer's body was never found." I'm like, "All right, I can buy that. You've at least set up how that would have worked out fine." But when she's like, "I like Adam, I like the grass and the bugs." I'm like, "Oh, fuck you. <laughs> this is a stupid ass ending." I just, I mean, for Everything else reason, in the movie is fine, though. I think the rest of the movie is great. It ends, I think it's a way better... Sorry to cut you off, but I think uh, Opera is a much better Phantom of the Opera movie than his actual Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying to... David, you keep jumping decades here. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on to it. Hold on to your rage for another decade. Hold on to it. He just wants well, to, I have to, say... to the to the shitty movies. <laughs> he does. He's just like that. He's like, he's like, right, come on. He's uh, he's a great director and all the rest. Let's talk about the shit. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get to the shit. Um, yeah, funnily enough, like that's not. Uh, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised because I do love Terror at the Opera. I think it's uh, Opera. Sorry, I'll just call it that to save any confusion. Um, I I do really like that movie. To me, uh, my favorite movie is Tenebrae, and I think Tenebrae is is the perfect Jalo movie, and I think it just pips. Deep Red, because I just absolutely, absolutely love that ending. I love the fact that it gives you so it gives you like basically two big twists. The first twist is that you know the killer, the actual killer of the movie, dies half an hour before the movie finishes. Oh, that's then, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. And then we we continue on with the character who you probably, if you've been watching our gentle movies quite a bit. You would never suspect this guy to be your killer or the, the writer to be the killer because he's the character we're followed all the way through. If you follow the the kind of canon of our gentle Jallo movies, the American tourist that's that's over in 
Italy is never the killer. He's the victim. You know, he's the guy. He's the witness. He's he's all the rest. So the fact that he then goes crazy, you know, and then he continues on the killing, and then he fakes his death. So you think he's dead, and then he comes back from the. I love that sequence where the cop can't find the body, and he bends down. And he's standing behind them with a fucking axe. And I'm like, oh my god, yes. Yes, hit him with the axe. Hit him. <laughs> hey, do it now. Wait, um, wait is John Saxon in that movie? Yeah, John yeah. Okay, it's, yeah. Been, it's been about five years since I saw Tenebrae. And yeah. the two things that stand out were the really awesome, that one tracking shot through the, like, over the house and through oh, the window. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I do great. vaguely remember that there was a writer, and I was like, is John Saxon in that fucking movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Saxon plays his publicist. That's right. So yeah, he's he's the publicist. That arm so. getting cut off at the end is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is one of the best freaking like I don't know, man, severing an appendage scenes I've ever seen in my life. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just I love the and I, I love the fact as well that in that movie we get the like we get with some of the other the other Argento Jalo stuff, special when you look at things like Deep Red, we get the the kind of trippy flashback sequences which you never really understand why they're there and it doesn't make sense to the very end um obviously of the the sequence of him um being humiliated by the the girl who he to be honest with you deserves it he slaps her in the face um but you never raise a hand to a woman but he does that anyway and then the guy's chasing it and that sequence i just always remember like even when i watch it now i just think it those sequences come out, it's like a dreamlike sequence, and you can you never really tie it up. And it, it takes the, the cop explaining it at the end, and you're like, Oh, right, so he was the guy that killed the woman, but that's not what all the other murders were relating to. And I just I love that element about it. I think it's like, I think it's I, I think it's his most effective gel because there are so many twists and turns in it. I totally see where you're coming from. I think opera. Um, so some of what happens in that movie is purely from the mind of a sadist <laughs> <laughs> that, that enjoys thinking up ways to torture and kill people and absolutely I love it I love it for that um, Dave Z um, right Opera Tenebrae Phenomena Inferno if you had to pick a favourite from this decade what would it be and why? <laughs> Believe it or not, once again, I'm agreeing with these guys. I say opera is also my oh, favorite. Oh, there you go. Right? Yeah. Is it for is it for the same reason that uh, the same reasons that Johnny was saying? You know, is it because it's it's so sadistic or yeah? Um, what was it that stands out? <laughs> that, that has a lot to do with it. Yes, um, uh, it's very sadistic, and I like what you know what the with the the pins under the eyes. That's a what a scene that is, man. Mm. You're just sitting there watching it. And you're it's very That's suspenseful, a visual, man. That visual, yeah, mm-hmm. very much so, and it's. Just all the kills in it are, are are really cool. I mean, you know the the keyhole thing with the eyeball and the bullet. Man, that's that's incredible. Uh, I love yeah. that scene. And it's just it just it just seems entertaining throughout. Um, once again, it's just very entertaining to me. Where Tenebrae, I, I like it a lot. And I, you were right about that twist. Uh, that's very clever. I like what he does, and it's different. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me that when I stack it up against Deep Red. Um, mm. It just seems a little bit, not to knock it, because I do like Tenebrae, it seems a little bit like Deep Red Light. It just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's played... I think Tenebrae, to me, if I if I put the two together, Deep Red and Tenebrae, I would say Tenebrae is more Hollywood, if you if, if that makes a if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It doesn't, doesn't necessarily go as... 
almost kind of cerebral with quite a lot of the the horror in it. Um, and I like I love the ending. I, I think the Tenebrae ending to me. I think I, I think I prefer that too. Uh, the Deep Red ending just because we're left with we're left with our our character screaming. I mean that she she's like she's standing there looking at. Our, our friend who she just found it's a killer who's now impaled by a sculpture and the blood's pouring out of him and he's trying to pull this out and she just screams bloody murder it's just <laughs> it's, it's but I can see I can see totally what I mean I think it's the, the, to me Tenebrae just edges above Deep Red and no more so I mean if you say you think that Deep Red's better than Tenebrae I can't I, I would never say no there's a there's a marginal difference here because there isn't there isn't one I think they're both once again you've got you've got um I'm trying to remember. Is it? It's not. It's. It's just Claudio Simonetti that does Tenebrae. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. the full band because the band had disbanded by then. So you. But you've still got that kind of. You've got kind of the weird elements of disco, kind of <laughs> fitting in, in, into the soundtrack as well. Which the the soundtrack to that movie is kind of positive and upbeat when you see what's actually it's happening. It's funky. Yeah. Yeah. It really <laughs> It's got that. It's got that beat going. It's almost like a like a fucking BGS or ELO song with. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Especially that that tracking shot you guys were talking about. That fucking amazing oh, tracking my shot. God, how good is that? The music during that shot is like straight up. You could play that at a disco, man. <laughs> well, because because she's in that scene. It's her roommate puts on the record, and the record is the Tenebrae soundtrack which i love <laughs> i love the fact that it plays in its entirety throughout that entire tracking shot so you get the full track as you hear it on the on the the album um but i i'll be honest with you i i struggle to think of any movie prior to this that has such an elaborate tracking shot which is just so i mean i i can i can't even begin to put my head into the logistics of how he makes that work because it's it, honestly, it feels like one shot. It feels it all as if it's one shot. And um, but think about logistically how you would have to have everything set up, and the actors queued, and the cameras coming out, and then it's moving over to another window, and there's a character just doing something, but it's incidental. So we'll move over and move back in, and we'll see this sequence. And uh, to me, it's just mind blowing. It's you know, uh, uh, to me, it, it's it's where later Argento maybe. Later, Argento in his career, which I don't want to jump on and do a David Anderson here, um, but later, later, Argento focuses, I think, too much on trying to create those wonderful, bizarre, original shots. Maybe uh, neglects other aspects, but in this movie, I, I mean, that that to me is mind blowing how he does that, and it's just, it's just so fresh. And even watching it now, I'm watching that going, I, you just don't see that. You just don't see cameras well you see it with cgi right where people are where people are mapping things you just don't see that being done on a practical level and it's fucking wonderful it's yeah i seem to wonderful. say uh, i don't i honestly cannot think of what the title of the documentary was now but it was a some weird argento documentary i had on dvd from like 89 I, I 90 maybe or I something, something like that yeah i don't it, it, it covered a bunch of his stuff like kind of from the 70s and the 80s and they talked about the the helicopter drop and demons and how they were setting that whole thing up, but they showed how they did the the shot in Tenebrae, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is one continuous shot. It's on a crane." And they show like literally how they did it, and it's just like, "Holy shit! You put so much thought into this shot, and it fucking pays off because mm. it's so good in that movie." 
Like yeah. I legitimately, I don't remember ninety percent of that movie other than John Saxon and that amazing crane shot. <laughs> I remember during that crane shot, that whole scene was uh, littered with titties all That's through that true. house. Just lesbians. <laughs> yes. You, yes. You you guys remember the scene before this murder, like where they're at the bar and the chick's tits just come out at the bar? Yes. <laughs> Because that's the thing. That's what happens in Italy, Johnny. I don't know. Um, they just I, pop I, them out. Yeah, they're just, they're just at a bar. I mean, that's what you do. You're at a bar. You're having a drink. Titties out. I mean, that's... It, uh, it's Europe. It's, it's what you do there. It's I, what you're doing. I would go there, but I'm a musician, so I'll, I would just attract the serial killers. Yeah, yeah you do. You, you, Johnny, of, of, of all of us, you're the one that can't go... You're the, you're the one that's most like a rock star of the group. You cannot go there, because if you go there, bad things will happen. Wait, well, John, Johnny comes back from Italy. You guys will never believe what happened. <laughs> yeah, so there was a mass killer. There was a strange sequence. For some reason, disco music was playing. Um, I couldn't get rid of Daria Nicolodi. She just wouldn't leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> Ozzy Argento showed up for some reason. Yeah, she was that would be awesome. Well, yeah, of course yeah. it would be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we'll, we'll, we've talked about two movies here. We have uh, both of them are the Jalo movies. We have not talked about the two supernatural movies here. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go out on record here. I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay it on the line, guys. Right? As, as it's not unpopular because I, I have my, my top three are gentle movies of all time. Are Tenebrae, Suspiria. And Deep Red. That's my top three, right? That's that's I stick by my top three. Right, right beside, right beside Deep Red, is Inferno, right? Mm-hmm. And I, let me tell you why, right? <laughs> Inferno to me, out of every movie I've ever seen in my entire life, Inferno to me is the one that I think captures what a dream is like better than anything that that movie feels like one giant dream um and it creeps me out there's so many sequences in that whether it's and we're talking about the amazing tracking shot and i know that argento didn't do the well from what i've been told he didn't do the underwater shot that was done by um i want to say it was bava uh, I think it was Bava. I think it was well, i think because um, i think bava really? did that one and then yeah. the ending sequence with Whatever the fuck that was. Yeah, I yeah. I, th- yeah, I think I'm both sure those that... sequences were Bava. Yeah, I think Bava did that. And Bava did a lot of the, 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 the kind of the, what well, basically did the painted on glass for a lot of the shots. And mm. I think Bava did all them as well. And I would explain it because that that sequence in the water is, is, so unbelievably beautiful. It is, mm-hmm. is incredible. And so that doesn't surprise me that Bava's behind that. So, but. To me, Inferno, once again, it just kind of, it takes the, I think it's the, in some respects, it's the natural progression from Suspiria. He takes the elements he did in Suspiria to do with the colour, amps that up. Um, the the kind of visual style is, is next level. There isn't, an, I would never say, I would never argue that this one has as strong a narrative as um Suspiria, because it doesn't really. There, there is a story there, but I don't necessarily think the story is is put across as well as it can be. You gotta squint but, your eyes and turn your head a little bit to see, yeah. it, figure out what the story is. Yeah, um, but to me, there's the some some of the most iconic Argento scenes ever are captured in this movie. For, for in my opinion, anyway, um, and I just think it's I think it is a wonderful movie. But I would never argue 
that you know it's the movie I would recommend to to people to go and check out. You know that are getting into Argento at all. I think it's it's one of the more abstract ones. Um, I, I just think. I, like I say, when I think of how other films, other horror movies, or how other movies capture what a dreamlike state is, I think a lot of movies do it really well. I just think Inferno nails it. To me, it is one big, bizarre, creepy, unnerving dream sequence all the way right through, and I, 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 I absolutely love it. Now, if you, if I was starting off with David Anders this time, um, now I know that you, you. You're not the biggest fan of Inferno, and no. you're not the you're not the biggest fan of Phenomena either, are you? Oh, Phenomena or Jennifer Connelly looking stoned the entire movie, and what the fuck <laughs> is that midget doing? And why is this movie about bugs? Yeah, Phenomena is a uh, Infer. Okay, so Inferno. I think the underwater underwater sequence is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the story is really light and not great. Um, as a sequel to Suspiria, I, granted it's tenuously connected, it's kind of weak, and the movie ends up being kind of a mess. I think the best part of it is the score by Keith Emerson, which is one of the few times where he doesn't use Simonetti or Goblin, and it works fantastically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Inferno otherwise is sort of a mess, and that ending sequence looks kind of cheap with that skeleton in a robe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not so good. Uh, Phenomena, I think I saw it once and I, I found myself just bored by it and not really that into it and then all of a sudden there's a midget in a boat at the end and I'm like, what the sh- what the fuck is this movie? Why does Jennifer Conley look so fucking bored? Yeah, Phenomena is not a very good movie is what I'm saying. Inferno is at least vaguely interesting and has interesting shots in it. Granted, the story's not great. But it's at least watchable. Phenomena is sort of a mess. You're, you're breaking my heart here, Dave. I know. I'm me, me too. Me too. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm actually crying into my glass here. What the fuck? Uh, right, right. Now, now that David has sobered us up. Um, right, Dave Z. Inferno Phenomena. Two supernatural movies which he's spaced in between Jallos. Um What's your take on them? I am fine with both of them. Um, I, I I like Inferno. I, I you know I agree with you know some of the negatives that have been said. I mean, uh, but as far as the positives, yes, I do like the score a lot. Um, very good work there. I mean, it, as a follow up to Suspiria, you're not going to compare it, but I like the idea and I like what you said about it being like a dream because it really is. But he tried to do, uh, and it's the only time he really did it almost as successfully. With the color schemes, he did the same type of thing that he did with Suspiria. Not to the, you know, not as strong as Suspiria, but, you know, he followed it up with something similar. And I like that. And I like the mythology of the, we learn more about, you know, the three mothers and that whole situation. Of course, the narrative isn't as strong as it could be and a little muddled. But, you know, it's not a perfect movie. It's not Suspiria. But but I enjoy it for what it is. Um, I'm fine. Could it have been better? Yeah. It, but I do. I enjoy it. it. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I shouldn't say there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm fine with it. The thing at the end, that skeleton looks like a, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of a silly ending and a silly looking uh, Halloween prop that I, I could go down the street right now at a party city and probably get one that <laughs> looks just as good as that. Yeah. 
I well, think there's. Uh, what I was going to say is that what, what I mean, the, like in terms of the, the the actual scares in that movie, right? The, the, there is a kind of Jalo esque killing sequence. You know, where one of the characters is stabbed to death, but um, or, or even the eyes, the eyes that are pulled out, which uh, maybe the special effects don't hold up necessarily all that well. See when the character has the the, the book. The Three Mothers book, and she goes, she's walking through doors, and she opens the door, and it almost like takes her back to some sort of medieval dungeon, and that you just see this horrible hand, and then you get this guy chasing her down, going for the book. That to me is out of nightmares. That to me is a nightmare. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's that's what I say about like the, the dreamlike thing as well. I mean, like so, you've obviously described your, your feelings on that. What right? So, did you see the? How did you experience phenomena the first time? Did you see it as like Johnny was saying as creepers, or did you see it as phenomena? And if so, did that taint your watching of it the second time around when you saw it uncut? Oh, the first time I saw it, I did see it as creepers. I rented it because it was one of those VHSs, and I by that time I had seen Suspiria, so I'm like, okay, well I want to see what what more of our general was there. And then this creepers came out. So I watched it and I was intrigued by the whole thing with the insects and everything else. And I was fine with that, but I was, you know, in comparison to only seeing Suspiria and then seeing creepers, you know, of course it's, it's a letdown in that respect. But later on in the two thousands, when everything became available, I, then I got phenomena and I've watched it like, you know, I've watched it three times since we reviewed it last year, actually on the show. And, uh, there is a little. I understand what David's saying about the midget, that the little that little kid that's locked up, and <laughs> why does he look that way? Because he's supposed to be a kid, but he has flies on his face, and he's a mongoloid type looking thing. That isn't really explained thoroughly, but I actually am fine with the um the Jennifer Connelly story. It, it's almost a little bit like Suspiria in a way, where an outsider's coming to a school. And, um, you know, she's not getting along with the other students at first. She gets picked on because of having a rich father. But, you know, I digress. I, I enjoy that. And I enjoy the, the situation with between her and the insects. I think it's really cool uh, how, how they did that and how she's like, you know, the queen of them or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, the whole thing with Donald Pleasance, I like that and his monkey and... Uh, <laughs> The thing at the end with the monkey is a little ridiculous because all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere to save the day. But all in all, it's the throat slitting monkey. Yes, yeah. it was a great scene. <laughs> oh, right? I forgot all about that fucking monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something and else and about that movie. That's why you don't like it. You, you didn't remember the awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blocked it, the awesome monkey, or the fact that Donald Pleasance is talking like a Scotsman. Aye. Oh, I'll tell you about my monkey. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's like, yay, Donald Pleasance is a Scotsman. Yes. <laughs> representing, representing. Johnny, right, Phenomena, Inferno, tell us about them. What, what's, your, what's your take on them? I, I actually have always really enjoyed Inferno. A lot of people I know, they, they claim it's boring and stuff. I've always, I've always really liked it. And as far as it alongside Suspiria, like you guys all said, I mean, it's, it's, it's just treading the same water that, I mean... It's a good spiritual sequel, but um, comparing them, it's it's gonna obviously have some shortcomings. But the the color schemes, everything about it was awesome. I think the opening with that underwater, with her going to get the key and stuff, hmm. is one of the greatest fucking visuals I've seen. And and uh, as far as underwater shooting goes, hmm. I mean, it's just beautiful the the way the whole thing shot. And uh, I don't know, I I agree that this the story is a little bit lacking, or it's a lot lacking. 
but <laughs> but I, I, I that doesn't take away from it for me. I mean, I, I really do enjoy it. I, I'm more interested in getting to Phenomena because <laughs> this is one another one that I really love, and um, I just there's so many things going for this movie. I mean. I'm going to start off with Iron Maiden Flash of the Blade, which is one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite songs of theirs. Good soundtrack, yeah. <laughs> and, and and the fact that that song kicks in every time the killer's about to kill somebody, it's fucking awesome. But it's it's the only movie ever that I've ever seen where Daria Nickelodeon looks attractive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think in every other movie she's kind of like outspoken and kind of uh, I don't know they they. they make her almost like a sex symbol whereas in this movie i feel like she's more reserved and like that more nerdy look and uh and True. i think the, the the reveal that she is you know kind of the evil mastermind behind it and you know I, I think that is pretty cool too because it's one of the i think it is the only movie that she was bad in right like i can't think yeah, of another pretty one much yeah she's so, always mm-hmm. the yeah the good one or the, the the kind of girlfriend or whatever she's just in that role the the lead actress of the movie but yeah she's Hasn't been evil except in that. That maybe it was, you know, you had a bad girl thing going on. Because I do. You know, I, <laughs> so, I'm ashamed to admit it, you know. I, I like bad girls and I like nerds. So Yeah. There you go. It's a double text thing. But, <laughs> but then again, she comes with a little bit of baggage. She's got the midget mongoloid son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, no, no, it's the way you've got to look at it. If it's too good to be true, it, yeah. Probably There's something. probably a midget mongoloid somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's what they say. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a saying. At least in my country, that's a saying. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, right. So, I that's mean, the tagline. That's, 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 yeah, that's... <laughs> I like all the Jennifer Connelly stuff, how, and I think that was based a lot on maybe um, Aja or whatever with, with um, you know, um, her dad's a director and she goes off to live somewhere else and. And that kind of stuff, but I um, mean, the movie had a lot of stuff going for it. I love Donald Pleasance. I love his monkey. <laughs> I, I, I was I, every time I watch it, I get genuinely sad every time he's killed. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 one of those movies. Like I, I don't know. I think it's because it's so, it, it is so out there. And in fact, you were saying supernatural. I think it's it's like a giallo with supernatural ten- yeah. tendencies because it's weird. It's like they had two different ideas and they just kind of meshed into one. But I, I mean, <laughs> you you could be like, "What the fuck?" The whole movie when Jennifer Connelly falls in like the sludge pit with all the crap, or when the monkey comes back and starts slicing throats. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, I love the I love the the Simonetti like the opera soundtrack they have going on, oh, like the the hmm. opera singer. I think it's phenomenal. This is actually another one of my favorites of his. I mean, I, I mean, along with Tenebrae, and I, I really think. In my opinion, if I had to pick a decade, I would I would definitely pick the 80s because I think he was just knocking them down back to back. And not that he wasn't in the 70s. I just think the 80s were everything was so unique and, and just out there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, out and, there. Exactly. That's the perfect word for the 80s. He was more experimental with what oh. was going on. You know, how about this? Oh, yeah. It's the only movie where you actually have the POV of a maggot. Yeah, that's isn't that awesome? right? Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about that. I only yeah. watched it just a couple of days ago as well. Yeah, it's, it's like I, uh, that. Once again, this is what I would say for better or worse. I, he, the guy likes to experiment. The guy likes to try things that maybe other people haven't done before. And yeah, sometimes you know it doesn't work. And you know you watch it and you say, "Oh, end of Inferno, creepy." Supposed to be 
creepy skeleton face comes out <laughs> and it yeah it, it, it doesn't creep or anything it just looks like a guy wearing a you know looks like they've grabbed a prop from somewhere and stuck a mask on it um and that doesn't work but then you get risks that pay off and when they pay off they're genius i mean they're like they're like levels of pure horror genius and i think that's i think that's argento's strength i think he's one of the few directors that still has that kind of that kind of credos of you know live by the sword die by the sword <laughs> so i mean yeah i mean to me i i, I always really like phenomena as well i thought um I thought it was wonderfully weird. It really is. Johnny, it's a nail on the head. It's a slasher, but I'm sorry, it's a giallo. But in this giallo, it's got it's got just these some supernatural elements. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Friday Seven, um, <laughs> where you've got where you've got uh, is it Tina? It's Tina, isn't it? Tina, Tina yeah. has the yeah. Tina has the tele- telepathic powers and she takes on Jesus. And it's kind of, there's similar elements there. I just think, to me, Phenomena is a wonderfully bizarre movie where he marries things up that, once again, on paper, if you were to storyboard this out and explain it to someone, they'd be like, right, so there's a killer. Right, that's cool. Right, and she controls insects. Right, and <laughs> Donald Pleasance is in it. That's awesome. But he has a killer monkey. Right. Um, okay, right. We'll just be removing the funding from the table right now. Uh, oh wait, Danny and you Wan. want you want a midget mongoloid in the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Dario, we will call you. Um, thank you very much. For no, no, in. you see, it's a mongoloid. This is a little monkey. Yeah, the monkey fights the mongoloid. Hey, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, what do you oh. not understand? The bugs talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a perfect sense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it's, 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 it's really bizarre and I mean he does that movie a couple of years later he brings out Terror at the Opera or Opera and I, I, I love that movie as well and I think that's kind of strips it back to basics and just he, he delivers he delivers one of his most vicious movies um, which I can totally get behind um, now that's the, the 1980s now some would say <laughs> after the 80s Things get a little bit less consistent, right? Now, there's only one way to know that for sure, and that is to chat about the 1990s. So, with that in mind, we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, it's 90s time, which means... Oh, my God, which means... uh, What was the name of them? Backstreet Boys, and we're going to be rocking out with our tracksuits and our our, our kappa tracksuits, backward caps... Um, Bling's still not quite there yet But we're going to establish it Um, So yeah, uh, very short break guys We're going to be right back This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast Do you enjoy horror commentary With straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie Fuck this movie so hard Oh my goodness, you know Halfway through this movie I was just like Let's get this thing going Fuck this movie (laughs) Humor and an obvious passion for the genre I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. 
I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avenger. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Welcome back, guys. So, it's the 1990s. It's Dario Argento. He has another four movies. We'll say four movies. We'll round one up here. So, we have we have four movies again. So, he kicks off this decade, 1990, by working with his very good buddy, George A. Romero. T- together between the two of them, they both submit a movie uh, to this mini-anthology known as Two Evil Eyes. Um, both movies... Uh, feature Harvey Keitel um, which I think is the the only thing that I think that's the only crossover of an actor in between the two I believe I may be wrong about that um, his particular movie in this one is called The Black Cat um, and if memory serves the whole purpose be- behind this is their two adaptations or retelling of Poe stories I believe um, so we'll kick it off um, by saying he does this movie he follows up three years later with Trauma um, we then wait a couple of years after that uh, he does the Stendhal Syndrome and then he closes out the decade with the Phantom of the Opera which we kind of touched on before but we'll get a better chance to, to, to chat about that movie so um, going in order we've done David uh, Dave Z right David Anders Jr you're up first right um, uh, right Right, you're you're in the camp where this is the things start to get a bit messy for our friend here, uh, and things maybe. I mean, is there a particular movie out of the ones I've mentioned here 
from this decade that you've seen that you like? No. <laughs> I think I think the if I'm remembering correctly, Black Cat. I think I saw. I think I've seen Two Evil Eyes, and if the Black Cat story is the one I think it is, it's the one with Drew Barrymore. No, 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 that's Cat's Eyes. Oh, you're thinking no, that's Cat's Eyes. Okay, I'm thinking. Okay, then no, I haven't seen Two Evil Eyes. Oh, that's, I it's, seen it's that a- absolutely wonderful. It buries a cat and behind a wall. <laughs> and then goes okay, no, it. yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, and it climbs out of his throat, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like one of my favourite. Like, have to check that one out then. Kind of movies that's flung in there. I mean, I, I struggle to call this one, uh, you know, an anthology because there's only two things in it. Right. But it's one of my favourite anthology entries ever. <laughs> Absolute fucking love. You've got uh, Harvey Keitel drunk off his ass, <laughs> hate, hating this cat, and then burying him behind the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like, and then just doesn't he murder his he murders his, is his next door neighbour he murders I think so yeah yeah he murders his next door neighbour chops him up and then buries him behind the wall <laughs> he's gonna he's gone completely mad by this point he's uh, you know the, bricking the cat in but he can still hear the cat meow so it's like the telltale heart really a kind of cross between it's a kind of cross between the telltale heart and the pit and the pendulum so kind of flung together as Dario Argento would do it I, I mean if that doesn't pique your interest sir, uh, you need to see that movie <laughs> So, uh, so have you seen Trauma, Stendhal Syndrome, and Phantom of the Opera? I've not seen Trauma. I have right. a copy. I've Jeez. seen most of Stendhal Syndrome, and I didn't finish it because I kept falling asleep because that movie's fucking boring. <laughs> and terrible CGI. Like, the CGI is, is abysmal in that movie, which doesn't help. <laughs> but the story is just tedious as all shit. Phantom of the Opera has to be one of the worst fucking adaptations of that story <laughs> I've ever seen. Holy Christ. The soundtrack is the only saving grace of that movie. And I want to say it's Morricone again, and it's fantastic, but Jesus Christ, is that movie terrible. There's a, there's a stunned silence in the, in, the, in, the <laughs> in the round table room right now. As, as some of us try to, to comprehend what you've just said. But, I mean, I will, I will, I'll go right off and say I totally, I, I don't like his adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera. Um, I wouldn't say it's the worst one um, because I've seen some of the Lloyd Webber ones and they're awful. Um, so, <laughs> um, fair yeah, enough. So I, <laughs> but you could argue the Lloyd, Lloyd Webber ones aren't played for horror fans. So, you, but uh, I'm not. Yeah. But I quite like the Stendhal syndrome. Yes. <laughs> Am I the only one that right? Well, Dave Z. I do too. Just, yeah. And right, Johnny Krug. Right, right. Johnny Krug. Stendhal syndrome. Trauma. Black Cat. Phantom of the Opera, uh, what works, what doesn't work. Okay, I love I love his segment in uh, Two Evil Eyes. I think that's amazing, especially the cat. It, it, does the cat go into his throat or come out of his throat? I can't remember. I, I think I think it goes in. I'm trying to remember now. It's been it's been been about a month since I saw that, and I should it should be on the tip of my tongue. I, I, does it does it come out? I think and I've now got it in my head that it comes out his throat. I want it's, to say it comes out too. It's been a while since I've seen it, but me too. Yeah, it's so grotesque though. It's so like, <laughs> I mean, and it's practical effects. I mean, that's that's one thing that's cool too. Is that's back when he was still pretty heavy and and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, trauma is actually another. I mean, as far as the '90s go, I'm, I'm not huge into his '90s stuff. I like a lot of it, but trauma is another one of my favorites because of the all-star cast. It, it actually was his Hollywood movie that he did. It was, you know, he it had um, his daughter in it uh, showing her tits underage. It had 
Um, um, I, I didn't complain when I saw it. He signed the waiver. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it had, you know, fucking Piper Laurie, who when I met her, it was her first convention appearance ever. And she was she couldn't believe how many people were coming up to her. Cause, you know, obviously Carrie, but I was the only person that brought her trauma to sign. I was like, you need to sign this. And she, she was really cool. And, uh, and talked about how she always gets cast as uh, psychotics. <laughs> but, um, but trauma is a movie I love mainly. Fuck man. Trauma has one of the coolest, like, like killing instruments of almost any Argento movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's that that wire thing that's that that's motorized that just decapitates people. I mean, the movie does have some stupid fucking moments in it. I mean, but it, I mean, there's only one scene in the entire movie that completely takes away from the movie, and that's when Brad Dourif gets his head cut off, and yeah. it screams down the whole elevator shaft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, come the fuck on! Yeah, like that. His vocal cords are still back up there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't, right. I don't know where the I don't know where the sound's coming from, but it's back up there, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but right. I, I I do think trauma. I mean, uh, as far as when when you get into later Argento after the eighties, I think trauma is another pretty high point in his career. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a fairly lengthy movie, and it deals with a lot of weird things. Like, um, is it anorexia or bulimia? Um, I think it's anorexia. They say it's anorexia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it deals with topics that you wouldn't expect in an Argento movie. Um, the guy's always trying to feed her and, uh, you know, and get down with her, even though he's like 30 and she's 15. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I really like it. I, th- I thought it was a really cool movie, and, and the reveal in that movie is really neat. Especially, t- it's another movie that, kind of like Tenebrae, it gives you an ending, and at the very end, it gives you another ending. You're yeah. like, oh, shit. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, as far as the Stendhal Syndrome goes, it was one that a long time ago when I first saw it, I was like, what the fuck is this? Just because I was so used to his type of horror that it, it was more of like a artsy thriller. I mean, because I didn't even know what Stendhal, Stendhal Syndrome was, and I had to look it up and mm-hmm. and everything. But um David was talking about the CGI. I only remember one, one scene with a bullet. Was was there anything else? I, I, I want to say there's a sequence where she's looking at one of the paintings and the painting gets all wobbly or something like that. Oh, I can see that, yeah. It's been a long time to the side, but I just remember the CGI being like particularly bad for the era. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I, I do remember that's the movie where Dracula rapes Aja about 17 times. Because <laughs> um, because that's the guy that goes on to play Dracula later. Oh that's god! Right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's an uncomfortable. That's that, that's one of those really like anytime Asha shows up in one of his movies, it's just like this is not going to end well for her. Well, <laughs> you know the movie before this, she shows her tits. The movie uh, after the, this movie, you know, it's like hey, let's get her raped a bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, okay, now it's a Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> I was so excited because when I, I'd never seen it. And I was like, fuck, Julian Sands. And I was like, this is going to be pretty awesome because, you know, it's got Aja again. Um, it's just very long and boring. Yeah. And the gore is pretty decent in it, but I can't really, as far as Argento movies go, this is one of, I think anytime you take someone else's um, source material, as you'll see later with Dracula, but like Phantom of the Opera, I think he works better with you know more original ideas. 
And, yeah. I, th- and I think that shows definitely in this, and it'll show later. Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at his prior to him actually doing um, his own movies, he wrote movies. That's how he started. He started as a writer. Um, so I, I would agree with that. I think his best work is the work that he... I, I can imagine him writing you know, stories and already having the camera angles worked out and already having an idea of what the score's going to do, where the lighting's going to go and all the rest. And yeah, the, the biggest crime of his interpretation of Phantom of the Opera is how boring that movie is. Um, <laughs> I, it really is. The, the the Stendhal Syndrome, I really liked it. I thought, I thought it was... I, I, I don't think it's, it's nowhere near the best of his work, but I've always said, even Argento at his worst and I, I, we are going to get to Dracula but even though Gentle <laughs> at his worst I still I still see things in it which interest me whether it is just a particular sequence which is shot with a you know there's a particular camera angle or the way he's used his lighting or you know or the score that you know where that's coming in a particular section there's usually things that I like and I I, I think there, there's quite a lot of good in that movie I do think there is quite a lot of bad I mean I remember like when that movie came out and I was I in fact, when the first time I saw it, I would have been working at the, the video store that I worked at. And um, I remember seeing that movie, and the CGI didn't bother me that much. Revisiting it for this, the CGI is bad. It's, it's really <laughs> bad. And when you when you, when you you think by this point, Jurassic Park had already came out, the CGI is bad. Right? There's, there's no getting around it, you know, it, it, it's bad. But um, with Trauma, my only gripe about Trauma is the length of the movie. I think every, I think it runs maybe fifteen twenty minutes too long. Out with that, I think it's a fucking great movie. I think it, it once again deals with it's things that interest me, things like serial killing and stuff like that. So I'm I'm down with that. I'm t- I'm totally in that. Dave Z, you have been you've been sitting back patiently trying to take in what what has been said, uh, and now the floor is yours, sir. Nineteen um, nineties Dario Argento pros cons good bad. Let's hear it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to go in order. Two evil eyes. Um, I remember when it came out, there was a lot of excitement at the time because by then I'd see more of his work. I knew who Argeno was and everything else. And Romero Argeno, holy shit, how are you gonna go wrong? And uh, then it came out, and I was not overwhelmed by it. Um, the Black Cat, I think, is good. I I definitely think Argeno had the better of the two. Uh, Romero's was a little too campy. I don't know. I wasn't quite into it. But it was good. But I prefer what ha- I prefer his shorts that we're gonna get to in the next uh, decade, actually yeah. over over the Black Cat. It was okay though. I'm not complaining. Trauma. I liked it. I believe it did run too long, like you said. Um, not crazy about always using the same instrument of death. I get a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. I, I want to see more. But it's okay. A little confusing because I, she had the track marks on her arm. I wasn't sure was she supposed to be a druggie. I mean, that would indicate that, right? I'm. I've always been yeah. a little confused in the plot. Then they say she has anorexia, but she's doing things that bulimics are supposed to do. So, yeah. granted, I'm nitpicking. I'm just saying that there was <laughs> a little bit of confusion with it. And once again, it's okay. It's an okay movie. Evil Eyes is okay. Uh. Then we get to the highlight. To me, Stendhal Syndrome is definitely the highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it took me by surprise. I thought by this time um, I was done. He was done with you know making real quality stuff. But I really enjoyed Stendhal Syndrome. Uh, I like what they do. I like how they they switch it up halfway through when when Nausea takes over and you see what's going on with her character. I like that. Um, that worked out really well. And Phantom of the Opera. 
may I agree with you guys? Not not so great. The saving grace is the gore. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say, uh, but yeah, definitely kind of boring. But in my opinion, the '90s is his his worst uh, decade. But Stendhal right. yeah. syndrome to me is a highlight. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean I I do I, I think um, I think the I think the, the the issue I think when it comes to the '90s is that I mean. A lot of directors, um, in fact, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of directors in the 90s, a lot of the, the old guard, the, the kind of masters of horror, struggle with the 90s. And that's because horror itself in the 90s is just not great. It's just not It's just not what people want to see anymore. And as a result of that, you've got these guys trying to find their feet and trying to promote their voice. And I mean, you, it's, we all know what happened. I mean, eventually Wes Craven kind of reignites the the kind of interest in horror again, but there's a, there's a, a sizable period in the nineties where things are coming out, but people are just not interested. And to be honest with you, the kind of move away the, the the horror movies that tend to do quite well, and the 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 kind of the first maybe five six years of the nineties tend to be creature features more than than actually it's a serial killer. You know, these sort of things don't necessarily resonate. Um, That being said, I I know by this point, funding for Argento movies is starting to get cut. So he's maybe not finding the the same sort of pool of money which he had to do some of the the lavish tracking shots that he did before. So he's kind of having to tighten his belt a bit. And I think one of the worst things I think that happens is that he starts finding it that you can use cgi because mm. in the past i think you wouldn't have got in the past you would argento would have found some way to do that bullet shot he would have found a way to do it, it wouldn't have been as cool in theory as what came on on the screen but it would have done something that would have been equally quite as interesting i think the fact that people then start telling them well we can do this it'll cost you this amount of money and he starts going down that road I mean, later on, I think that plays into the, the, the slight demise with certain things that it does. Um, but, I mean, as it stands, I would probably, I would agree with Dave here. I think the 90s maybe... The, 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 the danger is the, the next segment, the, the, the final segment we're doing is basically everything he's done from 2000, which I think he has about the same amount of films as he did in the 90s, right? Um, and I think... The two thousands are are noticeably highs and lows. I don't necessarily think the nineties are noticeable highs and lows. I just don't think the nineties the nineties is his strongest decade. I think in the two thousands there are movies that are better than the ones in the nineties. Uh, as controversial as that may sound, um, I mean. Right, well, we'll go around the guys. Thus far, we have trolled right through seventies, eighties, and nineties. Argento, and he's done quite a lot of movies by this point. I think we're up to a total of I mean, it's thirteen movies he's done at, at the moment, and for some of us, he's only really had maybe one or two bad movies. For David Anders, he's had quite a few. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not. I, I, I can see where I can see where you're coming from. So right. So we're gonna we're, we're gonna take a step back here, and we're just gonna look at the nineties again. And um, I mean. Do, this is difficult because, like I say, there are particular things I really like about uh, things like trauma as well. Uh, I mean, uh, as a director, you know, he's still trying to... I think he's still, on some level, he's trying to find his relevance 
in the nineties amongst all that sort of things. Um, the Phantom of the Opera to me always seemed like a really strange movie for Argento to take, and I know he has a love for for the classic monster movies uh, uh, and all the rest. And we're saying that the gore's really good. Now, to me, he needs to make that movie, right? He needs to make it, and he almost needs to make it as bad as he makes it because the next movie he does, I think, is uh, is a career highlight. Um, in the form of Sleepless, which we're going to jump onto when we do the 2000s. So I think he almost has to close this decade out on a kind of, on a poor note to kind of regenerate himself and kind of come back strong. Um, I mean, if I ask you all, before we move on to the 2000s, right, we've all said that our favourite movies have come from the first two decades, right? And that's, that's primarily where it's been. Um... I mean, if Argento had stopped making movies, and they, like, let's say Phantom of the Opera had been, I'd, I'd, well, it wasn't a particularly popular movie. Let's say he'd stopped making movies then. I mean, would you be happy about that? Or, you know, what? what's your thought, David Anders Jr.? If he'd given up then, I mean, would that be satisfying? Or, or, or do we need the movies in the 2000s? I know we're going to go on and talk about, it, but would you need? Do we need him to continue making movies beyond this point? Uh, Considering some of them are maybe not as good. I, I mean, it's the that's like any director. I mean, you want to see them continue to do well. It's just incredibly disappointing when they're not very good. It's like I love John Carpenter, but he's made a lot of garbage the last 15, 20 years. Some of it's good, some of it's awful. It might not. You can't guarantee that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, yay, Argento's going to do a new movie. Okay, what's the well, you know, what is it going to be? Oh, he's going to do Dracula 3D. Ooh, that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. Let's see mm-hmm. how that plays out. You know, or like Carpenter is going to do this thing. Oh, okay, cool. Let's see how it turns out. And it's like, if it's good, awesome. It's fantastic because you get to see a master at at work doing what they do best. And mm-hmm. if it sucks, it's like, well, that's really unfortunate that they got stuck with a shitty script and. You know, and it's not even necessarily that I think they get worse as directors. It's just when they have an uninspired script, it becomes way more obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you look at something like, you know, some of the later Argento stuff. It's like this is not like the writing is clearly not very good. And in some of the direction, it's like this is kind of lazy. So if he had stopped stopped after Phantom of the Opera, that would have been really disappointing because I think he does have some really fantastic movies that came out the last you know, decade or so. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I could have been spared a couple of them. But I'm glad that he's still going and I will continue to at least check out his movies as long as he he keeps making them. So. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, because consistently, I mean, if you look at it, consistently, each movie that he does in the 90s is less popular. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, as a trend that works down. I mean, Johnny, I mean, if if... He had hung up his his directing gloves at that point. How would you have felt about that? Uh, I would have liked it because I, I think he has way too many good movies to give up. I mean, I think yeah. I think having a few movies in there that aren't as great, like a Phantom of the Opera, I think that's like like David was saying. I think that's something that every director faces. Unfortunately, a lot of really great directors face it fairly often these days. But I think the the good outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. Right, Dave Z, weigh in. I know what your answer is going to be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, I wanted him to continue. In in the 90s, you know, they were kind of tough all over. 
uh, in the genre, even for all the great, you know, the directors we've spoken about. I mean, Carpenter and whatever. I mean, yeah, Craven and Scream, okay, fine. Um, yeah, but, but Craven, it, Craven also released Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, correct, right, right. Yeah. He <laughs> had yeah, some I mean, fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Williamson really is is the the, the mastermind behind the Scream, the, the story, and a lot yeah. of it. But anyway, you know, Toby Hooper, you name it, they've all decreased as time's gone on. Um, mm. But no, I wanted him to continue on because Stendhal Syndrome I liked. Um, and still, even though I did, it had lows, I still wouldn't give any of the movies that I've seen at this point. If you're like on on like you know on our show, we rate them out of five. I still wouldn't have anything past a three or b- below a three. There's always still something that I like. If it's not the story, it's the music. If it's not the, the, the music, it, it's what's on the screen. It's the visual, the cinematography, or what have you. Or and if it's not that, it's the gore. There's always something in our general movie that to me makes it redeemable. And I can't say that about all the other directors. So. Of course, I wanted him to continue on. He was my favorite. He still is. And I wanted to see him. <laughs> I was always most excited about him wrapping up the Three Mothers thing. Yeah, uh, which is what we're going to go on to talk about. Because I think, I think David, you're going to be fighting a, a, <laughs> battle, a, a battle against three people here who are united in their common love for that movie. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just putting that out there just now. So, yeah, so, I mean... Argento didn't finish in the 90s, he carried on to the 2000s, and like I say, to me, he comes out swinging strong with Sleepless, we need to jump into a new decade to talk about that, so uh, we're now going to move on to the 2000s and beyond, so, I mean, I don't even know, what what were we wearing in the 2000s, I had spiky hair, I had spiky hair and baggy trousers, I had a skateboard, I listened to Limp Bizkit at first, and then (laughs) other things, and yeah, it was all cool, it was all rap metal, rap metal and new metal, that's what we're jumping on to guys, we're going to take a very short break, when we come back, we're going to be doing some stuff in the 2000s where I believe I believe opinions are going to go I, I don't even want to know how we're going to measure this because I, I think some of us like certain movies dislike other movies and I think it'll be interesting because uh, the, the final movie we're going to talk about I think I know what some of the opinions are I have only seen this movie for the first time tonight so um, I I, I know what I think about this movie so (laughs) deliberately held that one off till tonight so uh, yeah we're going to take a short break when we come back it's 2000s and beyond Dario Argento round table on the podcast under the stairs coming right back after this
Right, so we're back guys. This is the 2000s and beyond. So we're still talking about the Dario Argento works, his movie works. Um, this, I think, is the most controversial section out of the podcast <laughs> thus far. Um, the gloves have indeed come off, guys. Uh, Get the ring! <laughs> 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 so here we go. Here we go. Right. So be some shit. <laughs> we've got a couple of things we're going to talk about here. Um, I have seen the movies. We were just saying off air. I haven't seen any of his televisual stuff, so I know some of the guys here have. So we'll probably tag that on at the end of the two thousands onwards. We'll jump back and look at his tele his tele stuff. What he did. Uh, did it work? Did it not work? Um, and on your advice, guys, I will be checking out this stuff. So um, the movies. Right, um, in 2001, he comes out with Sleepless. Um, a couple of years later, it's a card player. He then finishes off The Mother of Tears, uh, the trilogy, the Mother's Trilogy, he finishes off that um, in 2007. In 2009, he does the very controversial Giallo. Um, controversial in that Adrian Brody claimed he never got, he never got paid for that movie. Um and it was eventually settled out of court. I just love that the, the, the idea of Daniel Argento saying, yes, Adrian Brody, please be in my movie. And then after him shooting that movie, he's like, the check's in the mail. Oh, no, it's in the, I, posted, I posted it yesterday, honestly. No, Adrian, I put it in the mail. That's right, I put it in the mail. <laughs> what you don't understand is Adrian Brody got paid, but his nose had a separate contract, and it didn't get paid. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> He was pissed off because his schnoz didn't get paid. Listen, Adrian, I said Anzia over, okay? We're making it we call it even, okay? Hey, hey it's even. I call it even. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, to, to finish off his movie works, um, <laughs> Dracula 3D. Uh, right, so, guys, right, uh, we've, we've been around everyone. Um, and we're going to start back with Dave Z. Right, so, Sleepless, the card player, Mother of Tears, Jallo, Dracula 3D. What's your favourite movie out of this group? What's your least favourite movie out of this group? And just talk to us about Argento, 2000 and onwards. Uh, well, I think he starts off strong. I think Sleepless is definitely his best. Oh, um, rock and roll! Yeah, man. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it was quite a return to form, I think. It God was, damn it, was it. Yeah, it was a re- return to a nice Jallo again, and it, I quite enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's one of the best we've seen out of him in a while, and uh, the other ones are good, um, but they they just kind of play out like um, uh, murder mystery type. You know, uh, I, I don't like, watch like those. Long came a spider and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. really watch those kind of movies or, or those television shows. So I don't really, I'm not really privy to it that, so much. But the car player and, um, y- you know, Jallo and this, they just seemed, um, I don't want to say run of the mill. They were okay. I have no problem with them. They're fine. Mother of Tears, I, I also like. Don't yes, love. you do. Yes, you do. You like Don't it. love it. Like it. Um, <laughs> uh, and then he wraps it up with the Dracula thing. And I would probably say. Um, hmm, that's a tough call. I'll say Dracula is probably my least favorite uh, out of out of the bunch. It was okay. Probably. I don't hate it. And I, if I was a bigger fan of the original Dracula story to begin with, I might even be more into it because it kind of followed it. And I was just there was a little bit of downtime, but I thought it was filmed well. 
I I just didn't have any problem with it. I sat down, I watched it. When it was over, I said, eh, that wasn't bad. That was just my, I mean, the CGI that don't, obviously, we'll get to that. Holy <laughs> Wow, that the fucking train mantis. Oh, yes. Oh. That's, that's, that's straight up like a Sega, was, <laughs> the fucking Sega Genesis graphics. <laughs> <laughs> He's always oh, at least movie. 10 years behind. Then I guess like you could say that because when David mentioned it earlier when we were talking about it was Stendhal with the when mm-hmm. the, the the gunshot and yeah. the other thing later when the guy's head gets cut off and he's, it those seem like they should have been from the eighties. It just seems like I don't know if it's because it's Italy or because like Duncan said it was a he wasn't willing to spend the money on the CGI. I don't know, but for whatever reason, I, I don't think they gave him the money. The studio, I, yeah. I think he he probably funded his his own movies. I, th- yeah. I think yeah. I, I don't think I think um, I think the the the, the kind of there's a lot of money behind what he did in the eighties, um, and I think when it comes to the nineties, he just didn't get the same sort of budgets. And I think, and I, I, to the best of my knowledge, the the CGI that has been done in these movies have all been done by Italian CGI companies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the Italians are not like. <laughs> from a from a European point of view, the Italians are not a backwards, you know. Like I mean, they they have everything that we have. I just think when it comes to the the, the movie business was huge in Italy at one point, seventies, eighties, especially sixties, seventies, eighties. It was massive, and I think their their country just changed quite a bit, and um, it it just became different. And I think when you go down, when you have companies over there trying to recreate what massive Hollywood studios can do. We're, we're cutting edge effects and all the rest, and it can't quite compete. And I just genuinely think at that point he's, he doesn't care. I, I genuinely think when it comes to a CGI effect, Dario Argento could not care if it looked like a realistic giant bug. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just or if it looked like, it looked like one of the enemies from Donkey Kong. Um, I, don't think he, I don't think he really cares. Oh, fuck. Say what you will. I'm just I'm really glad to to see that the people from uh, Nintendo 64 are working again. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ! And and, it, and there's even there's like one shot of CGI in Sleepless, and it's only noticeably noticeable because it's kind of bad. But otherwise, it's like, eh, like the entire like that entire holy shit, Sleepless is amazing. By the way, like I it's finished really watching good, that today. Really holy shit, that movie's great. Yeah, it is. So there's like all the effects are practical and yeah there's a couple times where the practicals look a little cheesy like that fucking decapitated head looks pretty bad but it's still like it's practical I appreciate it but that fucking gunshot at the very end it's like that was like they, they it was the CG blood splatter it's like ooh why did you go with that yeah and I, it's like you probably enhanced it with CGI but you didn't really enhance it because it looks like shit uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's the only moment in the movie where it's like alright that was bad the rest of that movie is fucking bonkers good. Holy shit, that movie's crazy good. Yeah, I think... And it's just, it's such a straightforward, like... It's weird because, you know, he had the... The 90s were so kind of hard on him, and he comes back to doing a Jello, and you're like, oh, oh, you do remember what you were good at, and you are <laughs> able to do it really fucking well. But this is See, crazy. and he comes back with a midget. Yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah, again with the midget. He loves midgets. <laughs> I think I think the thing is I, I think and the thing puppets is, and puppets yeah. yes puppets, yeah. don't forget the puppets I think him but this is what I'm saying I think like when you look at when he has something which is considered a, a, like a failure 
mm-hmm. he tends to come back really strong. Inferno wasn't seen as being the masterpiece that Suspiria was, so you get Tenebrae right after it. Right. When he did that that comedy in the seventies, it didn't do very well. So it returns with Deep Red. So you know, it it, it kind of feels like you know it, this is what I was saying in the previous segment. He had to do Phantom Phantom of the Opera as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. He had to do that movie to basically have the kick up the you know that the arse that he needed to go ahead and do Sleepless and I think Sleepless is a really fucking good movie yeah um, I, I just think it's and it's, it's fucking Ar- mean yeah it's like, it is, it's it's probably the most vicious of his movies that I've seen like the that that the the first kill where the prostitute gets killed on the train like mm-hmm. that's easily one of the most vicious deaths in that movie I'm like holy shit yeah. what about the, just, the the fucking flute to the face or, oh uh, yeah awesome Yes. The fucking the yeah. English horn to the face. I'm like yeah. Jesus. Like, and all of the death scenes in the movie are like <laughs> super graphic, and they're right in your face. You see teeth <laughs> flying out of the face. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy, man. Yeah. And awesome. It's like a lot, and some of those practicals don't hold up super well. You're like, that's yeah. pretty fake, but it's still like, God damn, you're going for it, man. Go, yeah. yes, this is awesome. It's, but it's, it's, it's like you say, it's, it's Argento kind of remembering what it is that he does probably better than than anyone else you know and right. that is it, like back to basics kind of jalo horror movie and then just also like remember he's, he has like the 90s he's very mean-spirited as a director to to the kills and all the rest he just carries it on but he doesn't mm-hmm. take it too far and that's what i think i think the tendency would be with what was coming out about that time I mean, because this is uh, by this point we're just kind of coming off the cusp of the kind of the new wave of slasher movies. Yeah. We're just we're just hitting the J horror phase, and he comes out with something that seems completely refreshing. I, I I don't know I don't know how he does it. He just he just nails this movie, right? Uh, I mean, what, what Johnny? I mean, like Dave's rattled through what he thinks of the movies in the two thousands onwards. Can you give us highs and lows for yourself? Uh, Sleepless, The Card Player, Mother of Tears, Jallo, Dracula, Three D. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say right now that it's we reviewed Sleepless a long time ago on Cadaver Lab when I first took over for Sam. Uh-huh. And it was a movie Mike hadn't seen and I told him how great it was and stuff. And I just I honestly think over the years it's it's moved up in status as far as it's one of my favorite Argento movies. I mean, I, I would put it up there with the stuff from the 80s and the late 70s. Mm. Like I think it's that damn good. I mean, I mean I'm a bad boy <laughs> like that. <laughs> Weird killer. I'm a bad boy. <laughs> and he's like that he's fucking like, guy. Yeah, I mean that that movie is just it's just ah it it, it feels exactly right. Like yeah, you you finally saw something and you're like, well, holy shit, Argento he still has it. Like mm-hmm. it's not like he lost it. It's just that you know this time he showed a little bit more you know passion with the project, kind of like he would have back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as, I mean, once you get down the list, I mean, the card player, I liked it. But the thing is, I mean, like Dave was saying, it, the movie plays out like Kiss the Girls, Long Came a Spider. It was yeah. it was yeah, very right. cookie cutter thriller. Like there was really no mystery. You could you could solve it before it was over. I mean, and and also the whole the whole kind of online um, poker playing was it was kind of goofy. But I did enjoy it because I, I enjoy those kind of movies, you know, um, fucking, what was the copycat stuff like that? I like that kind of stuff, yeah. but not for Argento. No. But, I mean, that's not saying it's a bad movie. That's just saying that I think he can do better. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's right. it's like it's like seeing, uh, you know, a girl 
that you're attracted to and she's dating, you know, the heroin junkie down the road. <laughs> you're like, you know, you, you could probably, uh, you could probably date a better guy. <laughs> um, and then, uh, do you like Hitchcock? Do you like Hitchcock? I, 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 I really did like it as far as all the Hit- Hitchcock references and what they try to yeah. do. So what's Unfo- right. So as someone that's never seen this one, what, what is, do you like Hitchcock? Well, basically, it kind of follows... Okay, first of all, it's a made-for-TV movie. So mm-hmm. right there, that's one of my main problems is that it cuts out any kind of any kind of real violence and stuff that you would expect. So it plays out much like a real Hitchcock, you know, like, movie. And, and it follows basically Strangers on a Train. Kind of the whole, uh, you kill this person for me, I'll kill this person for you. And there's there's kind of a mystery going on, but... Um, all right, so as, 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 a, like a, as basically... Because that's that, that's a Hitchcock movie as well, isn't it? The 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 train thing where the two people arrange to kill. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, What's the name of that movie? Strangers, Strangers on a train. train. Strangers. Yeah. Oh fucking hell, Duncan! Jesus Christ! <laughs> I, yeah. Get I, it together, McLeish. In fairness, it's quarter past one in the morning here. I don't have. Oh you yeah. Fan, you fancy Americans? We are your afternoons and your evenings. Uh, we we have we have night time over here. <laughs> I will I, I will say this about Do You Like Hitchcock? I, I felt the ending was very anticlimactic. I thought that it's, the movie did have kind of a good buildup for a TV movie, but once you get to the end, it's like, okay, well, that was a movie. I mean, it, it did feel – it felt very much like a TV movie at the end. I mean, up yeah. until the point, mm-hmm. you could kind of get on board, but at the end, you were like, okay, yeah, that's – it's a TV movie that Argento did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I enjoy all the nods throughout, though. That's oh, I yeah, like. there were a lot of good ones. I mean, yeah, and of yeah. course – yeah. He loves Hitchcock. So, I mean, him yeah. and De Palma are just like, they're all over um, Hitchcock's taint. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's but, okay. Um, at, least it's, at least it's Hitchcock, you know? Well, yeah, least, I mean, at least... You know, it's going to be somebody. <laughs> it, it, that's the thing is, I mean, if you're going to listen to somebody, like a musician, you don't want them to be like a big fan of uh, Bieber. I mean, <laughs> it'd be nice to have some real influences in there. So, Oh, right. I'm loving the fact that this is the show, that this is the first podcast under the stairs where the Biebs has been dropped. That's awesome. <laughs> as, as absolutely awesome. Of all, of all shows, the Argento show. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> Oh Sorry, man! I applaud you, son. I applaud you. Oh, I'd love to see him die with the with that that horn to the face. <laughs> this is an instrument. Learn how to play it, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as far as the the wrap up for the the Three Mothers trilogy, I fucking love Mother of Tears. I know Dave said yes, he, he he liked yes, it. Johnny. Yes, Johnny. I like but it. I mean. Shitty CG aside, I stand behind this movie. I think the writing with uh, Jace was it Jace Bell and uh, or no, that's all right. Uh, Jace Anderson, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> the guy that did the, he did the Toolbox Murder remake. Yeah, and, the and, same writer. Yeah, and he did uh, Night of the Demons re- remake uh, that's writing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, so I thought they, it's him and his wife that write these movies and stuff. And I, th- I thought they did a pretty good. Job. Oh, it's Adam Grash. That's it. Is that what you said? Uh, no, I never even said the name. I just, oh. I, I agreed. I okay. I was like, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his, his wife's like Jace Anderson. I think he's Adam Garash. But um, I, I really did enjoy Mother of Tears. I thought bringing back um, – it was weird to see Daria Nicolod- uh, Nicoletti back again. Mm-hmm. Not Nicoletti. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the name uh, – <laughs> it was cool though, yeah, because, I mean, she started the – you know, she it was her, her actual story that inspired Suspiria, so mm-hmm. – I think it's cool that he would actually bring back his ex-wife who probably, like, you know, siphoned all of his money and shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, it was a family affair. It was all three of them, you know? He brought so a lot, kind but, of interesting. 
but he brought back Udo Kier and slashed his throat. I mean, he brought back a lot of people, man. It was kind of cool to see him do that. And let's be honest, the mother of tears was pretty fucking hot. Yes. <laughs> yes. She was banging, man. Yeah, man. Definitely. Um, as far as Giallo goes, I went into Giallo and it was a movie that I guess I had. a. It was before it came out in the U.S. So I had a burn DVD of it. And I picked up at like a convention and it said the movie was like three hours. I was like, what the fuck? So and I have a counter on my DVD player. So I'm sitting there watching it and it gets to the very end and I'm like, okay, so they have a bunch of empty space on this DVD. (laughs) (laughs) So so when the movie was over, I was like, oh, it's it's over. So it's one of those movies that when I went back and watched, I was like, okay, the second time it was a lot better. The first time I expected more to happen, but Mm. I, I thought it does have kind of that thriller aspect, like you would see in one of those American kind of thriller movies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, exactly. but, but the gore was back. Mm-hmm. So I will give it that. And, uh, and how Dracula about Brody in the, in the roles? I'm sorry, but oh know. no, go ahead, dude. Bro- I, I did not know. I mean, I, th- I thought it looked like Brody is the killer, but right. <laughs> I did not know until, cause it didn't, it didn't have him in the credits as the killer. Mm-hmm. No, it didn't. But then you research and you saw him like, oh, that's that's pretty fucking cool. So this guy, he had a legitimate beef with the money because he, he, you know, he put a lot into it. If you think, yeah, about dude, it. yeah, Gon- Gonzo cool. was all over the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I did. I, I did. I thought it was shot pretty well. I mean, that was one thing. And going into Dracula 3D before I say what I think of the movie, I do think that all CGI aside, the fact that they used real 3D cameras and stuff, the movie has a lot of texture. It, it was filmed like Hitchcock would do a 3D movie, like very layered. Every All the colors were popping. It looked... I mean, it, it was shot brilliantly. Unfortunately, they went and they had the uh, the, the Dreamcast people come in and, and do the CGI for it. <laughs> Dreamcast. And uh, and that's where they kind of lost me. I'm like, because, okay, let me ask you guys this. What was the point of the Mantis scene? I fucked if I know. <laughs> I really did not know. I was like, why did, why did he change into a Mantis? Yeah, why I understand a mantis? he's a shapeshifter. Right. Just to be different, I guess. Just to fucking be ridiculous. Did you guys notice, though, like, whenever he, Dracula shapeshifts throughout the movie, it was like, okay, he's an owl. Okay, he's a wolf. And it was all normal-sized. Exactly. Then he comes in as an insect, and he's like the size of a Buick. <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> it's like we didn't we didn't get the scale and proportions right at the cgi lab just letting you know ahead of time and our just like oh just do it just do it <laughs> it'll be fine <laughs> but, I mean, shake, your, shake your boobs over there <laughs> I, I will say this the, the girl who gets turned into a vampire at the very beginning of the movie who gets naked throughout mm. god damn <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Them titties are freaking <laughs> phenomenal. They're phenomenal. I mean, that's what the only good thing about that movie. When you see Aja later, you're like, "Well, yeah, but there's the other chick." It's <laughs> pretty bad. Back the blonde. It's pretty bad when the blonde's like overshadowing Aja. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I thought the lead actress was pretty hot too, but she doesn't. I mean, she just mugs down with Dracula a few times. I mean, there's no. <laughs> the movie to me, I mean, it, it did feel kind of like the Phantom of the Opera remake where it was kind of, or his take on it, where yeah. it, it, it had a lot of original elements and it had a lot of the old story kind of, I don't know, like intertwined. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, like, I could take or leave it. It didn't really 
it didn't stand out. Like, I, I'm not going to go back and be like, oh, I got to watch that again. Like, Sleepless, yeah. I could be like, let's throw Sleepless on and really enjoy it. Whereas this one, I thought, I thought Dracula 3D, it was just another kind of cookie cutter Dracula movie with mm-hmm. worse effects. Yeah. 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 And the climax was, oh, very yeah. weak climax, I think. Right. Very so, weak. Yeah, very weak. David. Yeah. David yes. Anders Jr. Yeah. Yes. Right. We, we, we. Now I'm going to come in at the end, obviously, <laughs> and, and, and 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 redeem some of the things you're about to, to shit on from a from a great height. Um, right, so we have this uh, Slipless, the card right. player. We have Mother of Tears. We have Jallo, and we have Dracula 3D. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you like Sleepless? We know Sleep, you like yes. Sl- Sleepless. Yeah. Is really good. The yeah. card player. Uh, I've seen it once or twice. I didn't get a chance to watch rewatch it before this. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember thinking it was okay, but as the other guys have said, it's very police procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, it does the, the thing that drives me nuts about a lot of movies, which is computers are magic, <laughs> <laughs> and all of the computer stuff is just ridiculously bad and dumb. Um, I think there were a couple of good kills in it. Like I think there was like a booby trap at one point that kills somebody that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, my my memory of that movie is very vague and very much like, oh, that was a movie that was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like Hitchcock? Yeah, it's fine. I seem to remember thinking kind of like the same what Johnny said was like, it's okay for a TV movie. Like, there's a lot of cool references in it, and there's a lot of it, it plots along fine. But when you get to the end, of it, you're like, oh yeah, that was a TV movie. Like, could have done with a little bit if it had been an actual straight up movie, even fine. As is, it's all right. It's a TV movie. I've seen way worse TV movies. <laughs> Didn't see Jallo because I just never did. It was on Netflix for a long time. I just never got around to watching it. I heard a lot of terrible reviews of it, which is probably why. Mother of Tears. Holy fuck. <laughs> I'm, so, gonna shove, I'm about to shove my fingers in my ears for the next couple of minutes and go, <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> first off, I didn't like, I hated the fucking remake of Toolbox Murders. Never seen the original, so it's not like, oh, I thought the original was better. I never saw the original. I just fucking hated the remake. I thought it was terrible. And then I remember reading, like, Fangoria, like, oh, the team behind Toolbox Murders is writing Father of Tears. I'm like, oh, that's not a good, that's not, that, that doesn't bode well, but I'm going to reserve <laughs> my judgment. And I bought it, I bought it on DVD because I couldn't find it to rent anywhere. And I sat down and watched it the first time. I'm like, well, and, uh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> It's <laughs> disappointing. So I tried to rewatch it this time, and I got about a half an hour in, and I turned it off because I'm like, this is fucking terrible. The The best scene is when the chick chucks the baby off the bridge because it's hysterical. <laughs> that is the awesome. effect is terrible. Yeah. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> Otherwise, the movie's just, it's fucking terrible. It's like, nothing is going on. There's just bad effects. The writing is god-awful. And I really just, I hate that that those two writers they're terrible because I thought the fucking Night of the Demons remake was fucking awful too. Like they should just stop writing things that I like because they keep fucking it up. Just stop it, please. Write something else. Stop writing horror movies because you're terrible at it. I actually like most things they've done. <laughs> I quite, I, yeah, I Toolbox was okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought Toolbox was alright, and I didn't actually mind tonight the Demons remake at all. I liked I thought, it. Yeah, I thought it was alright for what it was. I didn't. I think the ending was what really pissed me off about that movie. It's been a while since I saw it. I just remember not liking that one. Annoyed me. I didn't know that they were behind. It. I just I didn't like it when I saw it. Um, Dracula 3D. Holy <laughs> shit! I remember reading about this one. 
uh, I think it would have been around the time they were promoting Jello. It's like, oh, yeah, he's going to do Dracula 3D. I'm like, that could either be really, really awesome or fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. I bet and it was it awesome, came... right? Oh, I wish. <laughs> so it hits Netflix. I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to cover this on Devour. It'll be great. And I remember sitting down to watch it. I'm like, all right, this is okay. We got boobs in the first five minutes. All right. It looks a little cheap, but okay, fine. And then the bad CGI started. I'm like, what the fuck? What, what, did I just turn a PlayStation on somewhere? What the fuck is going on here? And it just keeps going. And it's tedious as all fuck. And Aja is terrible in it. Like, I, I, I'm starting to wonder, like, if she's either really a bad actress or if she's just, like, there's something wrong with her when she works for her dad. Because she's well, terrible in, like, every movie he directs her in. She's, like, wooden and can I, awful. Can I give you my, my opinion on her in this movie? I don't know sure. about other... I, I know in the last ten years, at least. Um, I From what I hear and what I understand is that she has had a um, substance abuse problem, like a narcotic substance oh. abuse. So I, I, I take a lot of the way she acts in her recent movies as it being a side effect of her doing heroin with, um, what's his name, uh, Michael Pitt. Okay, that totally makes sense then. Wow, she jumped yeah. out? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, she's got kids and shit. And, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, she could be fantastic because if you've seen like Scarlet Diva or The Hearts of Steve, above all things, those are two amazing fucking performances mm-hmm. from her. She wrote Whereas, and directed The, the Hardest yeah. Deceitful. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she wrote directed both of them. And you watch both of those, like, these are fucking amazing. And then you watch her and this, and you're just like, what are you doing? She's just like, bah, derp, derp. it's terrible. Rutger okay, Hauer but- is chew- chewing scenery like he's starving to death, which is great. Because I love Rutger Hauer, and goddamn, is that poor man already used the movie. <laughs> he, You could tell he is there for a paycheck. And he <laughs> That's does not exactly give what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I love Rutger Hauer, but not, that is yeah. like. That's a paycheck. That's a that's a car payment or something. Yeah. Rutger <laughs> Howard was reading the script going, yep, this will pay my bills for another couple of months. All right, let's go. Bring in the CGI Italy. crickets. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I mean, think the there's one was... sequence that's amazing, though, in Dracula. And you probably, you guys will probably agree. When Dracula shows up and they're having that meeting in that one room and he just fucking slays oh, everybody. murders everybody. It you is know, badass. by that point, I... I if I had been paying closer attention, maybe, but by that point I was so like zoned out on the movie. I'm just like, Oh God, please, please end soon. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with this anymore. It was killing me. You know, one thing that's really funny about Dracula 3d that it, when, All of it. Well, yeah, when, <laughs> when the first, when the first, like, um, what do they call that? When the first like promo reel trailer came out with like the timestamp and stuff on it. Oh yeah. Everybody was like, man, the CGI is so shitty. And I saw a thing saying that none of the effects are finished and it's going to be right. look way better. But then I saw the movie and I was like, they didn't fix anything. No, they, and, and it's so blatantly bad. Like, Stendhal Syndrome was like, all right, it's like, it's the mid-90s. Sure, maybe it, Italy hasn't caught up with everybody else as far as the CGI is concerned. <laughs> okay, fine. Understandable. You know, you guys don't have Spielberg money. It's cool. When you've got fucking, like, PlayStation 2 graphics going on in your movie, <laughs> like, that fucking owl looked like shit. That wolf looked awful. Like, the wolf I... was terrible, dude. The wolf yeah, is easily was... the worst. It's just like, whole... like, who the fuck... Who did you pay to do this? Because I think you should go back and smack them in the mouth and destroy their computers because they're clearly using, like, fucking, like, Max from the 40s or something. Or something. <laughs> what are they doing? This is terrible. Why are you I... doing this? 
this like digi Digimon or something like the yeah. Digipets. You know, yeah. I honestly, I it seems almost like because I'd heard how much money they put into getting the 3D cameras from Sony and stuff. It to me, it seems like they put so much money into like the the actual equipment and like the the sets and stuff that the CGI was an afterthought. You're right. Which and if if that's the case, then it's like, why the fuck did you go with CG? I mean, I get that it's supposed to be cheaper, but it's not supposed to be that fucking cheap. Put a guy in a mantis suit, goddamn yeah. it! Yeah, and, it, it's, and why? Why would you go with 3D when it's not going to get a U.S. theatrical release? Like, well, the, what I've heard though is uh, 3D is like huge in Europe. So, I mean, I can yeah. see if it's big over there, getting a you know a lot of money. Because the U.S. isn't as big as like Europe with. Because I know a lot of movies that right, come out yeah. here. I've heard are like converted to 3D after the fact they're released here and released in uh, you know Europe. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, those those fucking special effects down here, fucking atrocious. <laughs> you said they brought Sony in, right? Yeah, they did. They all they had all the 3D cameras. That explains mm. it. They they brought in Sony, so they went with the old PlayStation graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was some straight up like Laura Croft Tomb Raider one graphics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh we've still we've got some wolves left over from Tomb Raider just yeah, throw in there fine. this one still has an arrow in it <laughs> it doesn't matter no one's gonna care yeah it's like oh I guess I guess I can imagine Dario going oh so this is what the this is the model for the wolf uh yeah Dario it's the model for the wolf yeah <laughs> don't use that don't worry about it it'll look great in the movie. Uh. I- I, I don't, you know, and obviously this movie is uh, probably not meant to be nitpicked. <laughs> but one thing, I mean, one thing is, how in the shit, just think of how awkward it would be for Dracula to bite her behind her knee. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you get your fangs even in there? Yeah, the the less, really, the, the Dracula 3D is one of those movies, the more you think about it, the more it makes your head hurt. And the more it falls apart, because it's just like, none of this makes sense. Why did who thought any of this was a good idea? Would it be fun if you were drinking? No, I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> I thought. I, don't I mean, know. I watched it sober, and I thought, would this be better if I were drinking? <laughs> yeah, I, I and I it's I watched it sober, and I, I I can't bring myself to watch it again, even drinking, because I'm like that. Right. I, I there are so many <laughs> other movies I could sit and watch while drinking instead of this fucking piece of shit. Oh, <laughs> right. Well, well. Let me let me come in here, guys. Right, let me let <laughs> me step up, Duncan. step come up on. to the uh, step up to the altar here, guys. Right, Sleepless. We've all said, and I think we all agree, fucking brilliant movie, yep. absolutely brilliant movie. Card player, um, uh, it doesn't offend me. Um, it just isn't great. It's just kind of, it's not what I would expect Dario Argento to do with that. I mean, the premise of that could be so much better. In his hands, but for some reason, in his hands, it's just very plain. I, I don't understand it. Um, we then jump on to Mother of Tears. I'm with Johnny on this one. I fucking love this movie. I, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Uh, right, it, I mean, you can uh, fling a lot of things that the, the story's not well written. and you know, But we've, we've just said Inferno doesn't exactly have the best through narrative. I mean, with, with that particular series, it's not about that. It's about other aspects. I think it's very well shot. I think some of the CGI in it is <clears throat> a bit dodgy. Um, but hey, I, I Duncan, like the... F- yeah? Let me ask you this. This is my issue. Mother of Tears would have been a very fitting ending to it if if he just would have, you know done some of the stuff that he did did with Suspiria 
and infernal with the color schemes there yeah. was and, no effort yeah. made yeah towards that well, i think, I think that's what that's what stands out about that movie yeah, is yeah. That it's all digital you can see the th- yeah you could see the through line with like suspiria and inferno and it's like okay they kind of feel similar even though i'm not crazy about inferno at least it, it makes sense i think mother my, of my, tears just feels like such a different movie it's, because, it's, like, it's different it's, yeah. it's, it's supposed made, to be the made, ending it's just like what this doesn't it's, it's you need the odd years later, though. That's well, I think that's certainly, that's the, but you still the, the need key. the the atmosphere to you. The, it didn't feel like it had any atmosphere, and it didn't. If you're gonna complete a trilogy like that, that's built so much on weird atmosphere and yeah. you know colored lighting, all this other weird shit, to basically throw all of that stuff out the window and just go, ah, we're gonna shoot it straight, basically. Yeah. I think it I think defeats the purpose. Into, yeah, I think by that point you'd. I think there's quite a bit of time passed. Remember Suspiria and Inferno are shot not that far apart. Now you get this big period of time. I think he gets into the habit of doing particular things, especially in the 90s, that carries over. There Mm. is a certain degree of laziness when it comes to things like CGI, which, you know, he shouldn't... A a director like that, with the calibre that... You know, of movies he's done with the practical effects he's done before, with the light and with the camera shots and all the rest, he shouldn't slip into that. I, I chalk that down yeah. to laziness. And yeah. I don't think, to be honest with you, I, I think the, the best time for that, the trilogy to finish, would have been in the 80s. I think that would have been the perfect mm-hmm. spot to do it. Yeah. However, Late 80s in, or early 90s would have been yeah. fine. Sure. However, yeah. in saying that, though, there's plenty of things in the movie I do quite like. And that's why I I, I understand there's a lot of hate. And the, the reason there's a lot of hate is because Suspiria is so iconic. And Inferno, for all its foibles, you know, is still an iconic movie. And yet maybe it doesn't necessarily live up to those, those very high standards that people have put on there. I just don't think it's as bad as people say it. I don't think it's... The, I, the, there's I a lot agree. of people that will yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> yeah. that will say this movie is, you know, it's his worst movie and then obviously we'll come out with Dracula. Uh, you know, it's his worst movie and you know it's it's there's too much nonsense and he's he's not doing this, he's not doing that. I still think there's performances in it. I really like the performances in it. I think there's there's once again, right, he, he does kind of cop out with the lighting and does some things that you on a you know, that's a that's a black matter mark against the film there's still plenty of shots in that movie that i think are really good i like the score of the movie as well i think the score of the movie is really good um I'd, I'd, to me it's it, yeah it's maybe not of the the standard that you would hope to close out that trilogy i just don't think it's a bad movie at all um i think it's i, I, I enjoyed it the first time i watched it i watched it last week um enjoyed it when i watched it again i, I don't think it's it's that bad. Um, Jalo, on the other hand, I, I'm kind of iffy about it, if I'm honest. I, I quite like some of the ideas in it, but I, I don't. Once again, it's a kind of it's a Jalo story, and in the hands of the master of the Jalo, it should be far more interesting than it is. I just think it's kind of a plain movie, and yeah, I quite like the idea of the Adrian Brody thing as well. But it, it, to me, Adrian Brody isn't such a, a huge name that I would, you know. I would be so like I would be compelled to watch it because he's in it. Um, so it's, it's all right for what it is. Um, right, Dracula 3D guys. <laughs> so I sat down and I watched it tonight. First time I've watched it, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Some people have been fairly negative about it. I look at you, devour the podcast. <laughs> Some people have been less negative on it. I look at you, Banana Laser. 
because I've heard Dave talk about it briefly on his show. I've heard Graveshift Radio talk about it. I've heard loads of podcasts weigh in on this movie. Most of them in the bad camp. Now I'm just going to go out and say it. This movie's phenomenal. I'm all joking. This oh, movie no. is not. This movie's uh, yeah. This movie's not a good movie. This movie's not a good movie. Um, I, I would argue. I think it's his worst movie. I think it's his worst movie for a few reasons. One, I think the movie's too dependent on CGI, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's when your movie's too dependent. When your your character of Dracula, um, the the fact that we're going to have so many transformations in the movie, if you're going to use CG for CGI for that, CGI better be shit hot or don't bother fucking doing it. I would much rather what they did was the camera was looking at him, the camera panned round, the, pa- the camera panned back again, and there was actually a real owl sitting on a perch. I would have been happy with that. You know like what I mean? Or they... change, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would have been happy with that instead of the, oh, really, really, really bad. Yeah, some of the performances, in fact, most of the performances aren't great. I, I quite like, I quite dig seeing Rutger Hauer in this, just because, like you guys are saying, you know, he's there for a paycheck. I, you know, but I, I, any chance to see him on the screen, I'm a happy guy. Oh, he's um, awesome. And, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like Ruger. Just seen him once, so I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Um, yeah, Azure's not great in this movie, um, and yes, the the rack at the beginning of the movie, fucking awesome. But Amazing. yeah, I, yeah, I just think Johnny hit, Johnny hit the nail on the head. I just, you just remember something. Tell us, tell us. Well, you were talking about the rack at the beginning, and I forgot that sex scene at the beginning when he's like humping her leg. <laughs> It's so obvious that he's just grinding against her leg. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's it's oh, ridiculous. Oh shit, that's right. Don't show just... thrusting that close up if you can't get it even close to looking right. <laughs> it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of awkwardness in the movie, like like unnecessary awkwardness. Um, but something that Johnny did say, and I'm going to kind of side with him on this: the textures, the textures of this movie, the color palette especially. Is classic or gentle? It's it's really really captivating to look at, and I like that. Um, that's the only thing I come out of this movie liking. I think I, I genuinely genuinely think um, that this is his Phantom of the Opera again. And when mm-hmm. we when we close out the show and we talk about his future project, the project he's announced um, in the last couple of weeks, there has not been a movie by one of the masters of horror that I'm so excited to see than his upcoming project solely because Dracula 3D was that bad. I'm like that. He's, yeah, look at history in the past. Look at what happens when this man does a bad movie. He comes out swinging. Um, so, yeah. I, I think the 2000s to me definitely not... I think it's highs and lows. I, mm-hmm. Dracula 3D is the worst one. The other ones where he doesn't strike, maybe the card player and Jallo for me, aren't bad movies. They're just not great movies. They just don't feel like Argento movies. There's right. there's, gl- there's glimmers. Now, the one thing I would say is I saw a, a documentary with him in 2007. Um, and basically they were speaking to people like Aja and all that around them. Um, and they all have a theory on this. You know, the, the rise and fall, so to speak. And what they basically say is, and I, I kind of see where they're coming from with this, that in the 90s, Argento just gave up. He doesn't want to deal with actors. He doesn't want to deal with them at all. He just wants to get his shots and move on to the next. And I mean... In his mind, an actor is paid. Like, if you pay a plumber to come and fix your your sink, 
that plumber's going to come out and fix your sink. That's his job. He'll, he should be doing it to the best of his ability because that's what he's paid for. Argento looks at actors from the point of view of an actor is paid to act. So mm-hmm. when they show up, they should act. And he doesn't want to deal with them. So that's why I think you get a lot of performances which you're looking at going, I just don't understand why this actor's acting that way because he doesn't care. What he cares about is getting the shots done, moving on to the next shot and choreographing it all out and all the rest. And that works to his benefit and it works to his detriment because a lot of actors will take the easiest road and show up because it's a schlocky horror movie and do what it takes to get through and you know this is what you're having to deal with here that some some actors will shoot only show up because they're being paid to show up not because they have any passion in the project and that's that's evident in a lot of his later work is there's people there that are not having fun with the scripts, the crazy scripts, are just not getting into it as much mm-hmm. as as people maybe got into it in the the seventies and eighties. That's just that's just there. I still think very much like it, when we were saying at the end of the Phantom of the Opera, should he continue or should he stop? And we were all at that. Well, you know, he could stop if he wants, but I want him to continue. After dra- seeing Dracula three D, <laughs> I mean, which is a new which is a new low. I'm even more excited to see what his next movie is because I know. <laughs> Dude, if it's like guys. sleepless, yeah, yeah definitely. if it comes out sure. like that, that it's gonna, it's gonna, re, you know, it's gonna redefine how we look at Argento again for a new generation. It's gonna mm-hmm. bring more people over to that, and that's that's what I would say. Closing out these. Well, we well we still have the there's the two. Okay, so Masters of Horror, which I know. Yeah, yeah, Duncan, sorry, that's you, yeah. I've never seen either. So right, t- you missed out me. on those. Um, those were oh god, 2006, 2007, I want to say. Give uh, or what, take. What year? 2006. Yeah, I think it was like 2006. Six. Okay, six thank you. 2005, yeah. 2006. Um, Masters of Horror, for anybody who may have missed out on that, was a sh- three-season show on Showtime where they got a bunch of horror directors and uh, the term Master of Horror got thrown down quite a bit there towards the end, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but the first two seasons were they had like big-name directors. They got Carpenter. They got, da- I think they got Joe Dante. They got... John Landis, they got Argento, they got big name people to come in and direct these hour long films. They basically said, do what you want. So everyone who's seen the series knows it's ridiculously hit or miss with a lot of misses. Argento's first was Jennifer, which I think was written by Stephen Weber uh, or adapted by Stephen Weber. Um, I think from, an, right. from an old like Bernie Wrightson comic. Yeah. Um, and it's fucking great it's super simple it works perfectly within its hour time frame it's about this guy who finds this like woman who's got this gorgeous body but her face is super fucked up and deformed Mm -hmm. and like she he saves her from being murdered by this guy out in the woods and so he takes her in he's you know he takes care of her and his his wife gets really jealous of her because he's you know obviously jennifer the titular jennifer jennifer has an effect on him and there's like all kinds of creepy sexual tension between them. And it gets to the point where he like ends up going out into the woods to live by himself with Jennifer because he can't deal with people anymore. And when it ends, you're just like, oh, that's it ends perfectly. It's amazing. It's like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is a great hour long horror movie. It's perfect. And then you get Pelts, which is Meatloaf being Meatloaf. And that's about all I could say about that one. Is it's meatloaf being meatloaf, and there's some dumb shit about he's like a fashion designer or something. It's also right. got John he's a Saxon. Yeah, 
Oh, that's right. He's a fur trader. Yeah. It's all about I, the fur. Yeah. John he didn't, John uh, he didn't like it. I huh. remember not liking furs. Yeah. I remember, or pelts huh. rather. I remember really, like, Jennifer was really good. Oh, I love and pelts. And then yeah, I, I was like looking forward also. to pelts. And then I was like, eh, pelts isn't that great. The end of pelts is creepy, man. And that black chick had some nice titties. <laughs> I, at this point, I don't remember pelts because I saw it the one time. I was like, oh, that's a, that wasn't very good. Because Jennifer had set such a high bar for me. Well, there was the, the, the black girl's boobs, and then there was Meatloaf's boobs, so. <laughs> it yeah, was, like it, yeah, bitch did Bob. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw this on IMDb Trivia. It's actually going back to Dracula 3D. It said Adrian Brody played uh, the Mantis. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't That's surprise me That's how he got his all. money, finally, huh? Yeah. That's what it's <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say find Jennifer because Jennifer you, is you really, have to, yeah. really great. Uh, if you, if you, if you can check out the old Bernie Wrightson comic, it's the the art in it is amazing. Oh yeah, Wrightson's artwork is amazing. Well, you've piqued my interest, guys. I mean, that's something I'm definitely going to have to track down. Just just for a completest point of view, I want to make sure I've seen everything the guy's mm-hmm. done. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I think. Uh, so what's what's this next project he's working on? This is well, no, you're you're jumping ahead here. Oh, this is I for did. the final. Oh, this is for okay. the close of the show, David. I t- every section you've been jumping one section ahead. <laughs> I'm sick of this, right? You, I'm, <laughs> Duncan, I'm not used to that. Like, are we talking control. about? Are we talking about Dracula yet? <laughs> <laughs> like the that's, intro. That's that's how he opened it. I was like that. I'm going round everyone. I got to David. He's like that. God damn Dracula. Just tell us where your show is and how people can find it. Right, so, right, we're going to take a very short break. When we return, we're closing out this roundtable discussion. We're going to be right back after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Warning, the Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart. The following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at 7 at allradiox.com. I ain't heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so they, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, oh, you think we'll go off on tangents? <laughs> on the Midnight Horror <laughs> Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? <laughs> he was masturbating into the, the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> We're going to end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necrophilia, you're talking... It's going to take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. <laughs> Fuck you. You can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. Ah, welcome back. So you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been the special Rimtable episode number two, where myself and my guests have been chatting about the collective works of Dario Argento. So yeah, we have rattled right through uh, five decades of uh, of horror works. Like we were saying at the end there, we, we kind of finished off on a low note, which was Dracula 3D. Oh my God, God damn that movie. Um, and um, I said that I have renewed enthusiasm about his next project because 
as history has shown us, whenever he f- kind of fucks up what he's doing, he comes back strong. So, um, David was asking us just before the break there. He rudely interrupted me. Thanks, David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm being... just so excited. <laughs> You're just so... Can't contain myself. I want to see Dracula 3D again. Um, so, uh, I'd asked us what his next project is. Well, in 2015, he will be releasing a movie called The Sandman. Oh, right. that's right. I saw yeah, that. The yep. Standing, uh, and in that film uh, will be Iggy Pop. And I can hear everyone's elated with that. <laughs> you said Iggy Pop's going to be in it? Iggy Pop's yeah. going to be in the movie, yeah. Well, that's kind of random. Yeah. I, mean, I, li- I like Iggy Pop, but in an Argento movie, it seems kind of weird. Yeah, I'm down with it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you've already capped. He's already. That's pretty much the only information I know about this movie is that. Dario Argento's doing it. It looks like it's going to be a Jallo movie and Iggy Pops in it. I'm sold. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> so, um, and he has said, and I, I know he's like, people, you know, say these sort of things. It's like bands that say, you're going to love our next album. It's the heaviest yeah. album we've ever done. But then they say <laughs> things like, it's the heaviest and most melodic thing we've ever done. You're like, that's an oxymoron, mate. <laughs> Just putting that out there, oxymoron. Anyway, um, he has said, and I quote, that this is one of, well, it will be one of the best horror movies he's ever made. So, now that could be him just blowing smoke up her ass, or I get the feeling that I'm, I think he's going to, I'm, I am convinced he's going to come out swinging. and I really, I'm going to go on record here, and God damn it if I'm proved wrong next year, but I'm going to say that this movie is going to be better than Dracula 3D. <laughs> I, I think Argento probably, somebody yeah. sat him down and, and showed him Dracula, uh, 3D. Dracula 3D, yeah. <laughs> and explain, he's like... <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, that would explain why I took a tumble in his house recently. He fell down oh, that's right. right. Yeah. They showed oh, him really? At, yeah, yeah. He's I had to miss him because of it. I was going to go see him at the, um, the thing in Indianapolis. That's His right. only appearance in like so many years, like a dozen or whatever. Yeah. He was going to be at the convention. I was all set to get my tickets and then he fell and hurt his hip or whatever yeah, the fuck I think 74 was, what do you want yeah I think it's quite, it's quite a bad one um, but yeah. yeah so I mean I thought when when that happened I was like we're not gonna we're not gonna see <laughs> we're not gonna see uh, an Argento movie now I think um, but <laughs> he, he's bims back and he's he's now I, I, obviously not him but he's fully embraced social networks so he's his Facebook page is finally getting updated quite regularly they're already posted the website for Sandman so um, yeah I'm gonna I'm just gonna say I I think it, this sounds like something which is more within his wheelhouse I, I know he's a big ha- he's a huge Hammer Horror fan so I could kind of see why we'd want to do uh, a Dracula adaptation I just don't think that's the sort of movie I want to see from Argento this is the sort of movie from just the still image and the fact that Iggy pops in it this is the movie I want to see by Argento, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. So I dare say, because we're all followers of the various websites, we're all going to get information about this is going to get kind of pushed out right up to when the movie gets released. So mm-hmm. exciting times if you're an Argento fan. I think uh, time will tell whether whether it's going to is going to live up to the the. I was going to say high standard we expect, maybe not in recent years, but I still think I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of with with Johnny on this. Um, when it comes to horror directors, my two favorite 
and they're they're almost neck and neck or Carpenter and Argento for completely different reasons for completely different reasons completely different directors in terms of what they do but I think when they are on form I think they have released some of the best horror movies ever made um, and Argento like I say before he's, he's, he's not afraid to take a risk and sometimes that means awesome kills that you've never seen in a movie done before or tracking shots unlike anything you've ever seen sometimes it means CGI praying madness I, you know <laughs> you've got to take the good with the bad guys the good with the bad so um, in closing to this show um, what I want to do is just go around you all again just to remind our listeners out there where they can go from this podcast to go and hear your sexual voices guide them through the world of horror um, and make sure that you've had fun on this round table. So we'll start off like we did at the very beginning with Mr. Dave Zandano from Banana Laser. Did you enjoy the show, my friend? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, it was a great time. And it's I've been wanting to talk some our general for a long time <laughs> yeah we, we spoke about this how long ago As, it must right? have been i think it was i think it was on the halloween show last year i think we were shooting the shit after we recorded and we mentioned argento and your lives like my favorite director and i had i've I'd, since then i've had it in the back of my head if i ever do a show on argento dave z needs to be there so I, i'm very very happy that you've come back how can people uh once again check out the old banana laser podcast all right. Well, our home is Horophilia. You can find us horophilia.com. Banana Laser will be there. Um, you can find us on iTunes. But like I said earlier, you have to subscribe to the Horophilia feed. But that's fine because you get a lot of great shows with that as well. You get Skeleton Crew, My Bloody Podcast, and everything else. So um, check it out there. And we have our regular show, Banana Laser. We have our weekly show, which is called Banana Bites. That is also us. And that's just news every Tuesday and video Blu-ray, DVD releases, video, I say, whatever. Um, but that, <laughs> that's where we are. So if, you, if that's your thing, we do that too. But we're on there, iTunes, we're on Stitcher, um, Twitter, Banana Laser Show. We actually have a YouTube page as well. So find us, and we're all over Facebook. The group page is what it's all about, but we have a group page and a regular page. So please join us. It's all horror. That's all we talk about is horror, despite the ridiculous name. It's us. <laughs> <laughs> right, and um, I would like to, to thank uh, my guest, Mr. Johnny Krug, who is the president of the Justin Bieber Appreciation Society. Um, I'm all, I'm all joking. Thank you very much, Johnny, for coming on the show to chat all things Argento. I know through previous conversations we've been looking forward to the show. I hope it lived up to your expectations. Oh, yeah, dude. Thanks, man. Like, anytime I can talk Argento or, you know, any kind of uh, cool giallo flicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And how can people uh, check out Kruger Nation podcast? Uh, KrugerNation.com also on iTunes is KrugerNation uh, you need to contact me I'm JohnnyKrug at gmail.com JohnnyKrug on Facebook and Twitter I'm a bad boy <laughs> <laughs> they know the, do you not think that they know the nursery rhyme in New York and Sweden or whatever the fuck it was Stockholm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that fucking guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it leaves me it leaves me to thank my final guest, um, Mr. David Anders Jr. from Devourer the Podcast. I hope you've had fun chatting our gentle, even though sometimes your opinions have differed from the three of us. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's <laughs> something I'm used to at this point. <laughs> uh, and how can people check out Devourer the Podcast? 
uh, Devour the Podcast can be found at devourthepodcast.com. Uh, all three of the hosts have Twitters, uh, which is in the show notes. I don't remember everybody's fucking Twitter. We don't have a show Twitter because eh, fuck that. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash devour the podcast. Uh, lots of fun insanity goes on there. Uh, we have a weekly question or question of the episode where people send in questions to ask us and we answer them on the shows. Uh, as of the recording of this episode, uh, this roundtable, we are working our way through the Friday the 13th franchise. Uh, we've got a bunch of guest hosts lined up for the uh, remaining episodes, so that should be really fun. And by the time you hear this, theoretically, Friday 2 will be out and probably Friday 3, possibly more. We'll see what happens. I don't know when this is going to go out. I have no idea as well. I was kind of thinking in the next week and a half, though, so no pressure. You've got no, three, yeah. sh- three shows to put out, David, so that's no pressure. Um, <laughs> no, thank you very much to my guests for coming on. Thanks to Dave Z, David Anders Jr. and Johnny Krug. I hope you have enjoyed the second round table, um, and I hope you have been inspired to go and check out some Argento movies for the first time, if you've never seen any before, or maybe to fill in the blanks of some of his filmography that you've not... Maybe there's some out there you've never seen before. Maybe we've piqued your interest. Maybe we have put you off ever watching Dracula 3D. I don't know. That's a possibility. Um, but, I, like I say, thank you very much to my guests for giving up some time. Um, the podcast Under the Stairs will return um, as we are closing out our top 10 best and worst horror remakes as selected by myself. Um, by the time this episode drops, you should be... Uh, there should be two episodes left in that series before we kick into Basvi Halloween for five weeks um, which should be a lot of fun. Um, the roundtable discussions will be coming back. Um, the next one should drop in December just before Christmas um, so I'll have to try and think of a theme which kind of goes hand in hand with Christmas. Um, I don't know if I can do a whole show on Christmas horror maybe, I don't know, who knows um, and I'll be joined by some more guests from the wider podcast fraternity. So that leaves me nothing else to say but thank you very much for listening Um, I hope you take care of yourselves I will speak to you very soon from under the stairs this is Duncan McLeish saying bye everyone take care bye